0: Thank <music> you. Welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games Podcast, your source for our video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I'm your host, Andrea Renee, joined by one, Brittany Brombacher. Hello,
1: Andrea. It's so good to see you, Miss Brittany. You too. It's been a long time. And by it's that, been like, it's been what, like six days? Yeah,
0: almost. less. five days? you left on thursday and then i get to see you tomorrow
1: i in Boston. it's gonna be cold but great it's gonna be cold but it's not gonna be the worst version of boston we've seen truth
0: we are dodging the snowstorm bullets. It looks like we're going to get a little bit of rain, potentially some freezing rain, which, oh God, is I didn't see the that. absolute worst. But then this weekend is supposed to be sunny and like the thirties, <laughs> which is uh, for all of you listening that are on the uh, uh, metric system that's uh just above freezing, so close to freezing, but not quite. I'll take it. Yeah. I will too, as long as it's not below zero, because that would be very uncomfortable for all the cosplayers out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, you guys may be wondering hey, what the heck? Where is Steimer? Why isn't she there this week? Well, she is on the East Coast. She's visiting her. her? That's the word. Her family in Florida. You guys can follow her on Instagram at K Steimer if you want to watch some of her stories. She drove a golf cart. Apparently, she's wine tasting right now. (laughs) She's just living her best life, hanging out with
1: her. That's amazing. I would give money to see Steimer driving a golf cart with a glass of wine in her hand. I can just envision it.
0: It's brilliant. Like, I do, also do, 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 would pay money, but do. I think for safety, she should probably drive it and then drink wine afterwards. And Absolutely.
1: I figure if she's on her parents' property, she can go in like circles. She can't cause too much harm.
0: I guess that's fair if she's in an enclosed environment where there's <laughs> maybe to be no collateral damage. Some padded walls. You know? have, some, have some fun with it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, but she will be back on the show next week because she's joining us in Boston. For PAX East 2020, we're super excited. We have a lot of stuff happening at PAX. So the episode for next week will be our PAX East panel that, of course, is happening on Saturday, February 29th at 5 p.m. in the Bobcat Theater. If you are in Boston and you have a PAX badge for Saturday, please come and join us. Unfortunately, this will not be live streamed, this PAX. We did not get into a live streaming room, but we will be video recording it and, of course, audio recording it so everybody can watch it next week. That will be the episode. Plus, uh, we have a lot of other things that I'm going to let Brittany tell you about in just a second. But we announced this week, not we, I should say, they announced this week, uh, the team at Dear Villagers is having a panel on Thursday, February 27th at 2.30 p.m. And it is in Dragonfly Theater. And it is called, called—it's um, oh my gosh, Here's this is, I literally had the link pulled up. And then I closed it, and I feel like I do this literally every time. You know, it's a thing. that's what
1: she said? And then we just talk Mm -hmm. to fill in the time where you are frantically searching the internet for this thing you're looking for. It's very exciting, (laughs) Andrea Renoy, that you are hosting a panel. I feel like you host one of these every year, and I'm just talking at this point. I I do.
0: So almost every PAX, I host a panel with somebody, and it's super exciting for me because I love working with development teams, and I love working with – people who work on video games because I think that's what's great about PAX and why I love it as so much as an event is that it allows us as fans and consumers of this medium to actually have these moments of interaction with the people who create these games. Not many shows allow that. Even a show like E3 that sells gamer badges really doesn't allow you to get as close to the dev team as it does you know packs and I feel like that is something that is unique about this show and that is so phenomenal. So I've had the pleasure of working with several developers in the past including, you know, our partners at Square Enix and Private Division, Warner Brothers. Uh, I've worked with Gearbox and Squanch Games and a whole bunch of other people and so this time I found uh, the title the, do, you, do you have it? Oh, yes, I have okay. it. Sorry. With the team at I'm just I'm just, you know, <laughs> rambling as I like to do, the team at <laughs> Dear Villagers reached out and they were like, "So we have this panel," and I was like, "Go on." And they were like, "Felicia Day is on it." And I was like, "Ooh, I love Felicia Day; she's excellent." They're like, "Morgan Webb is on it." And I was like, "Ooh, I love Morgan Webb; she is also excellent." And then Micah Solson is on it, and I was like, "I've never met Michael, but Micah sounds like a cool dude." um So Micah is also a voice actor, and so there's a. Members from the Dear Villager team will be there. And so the name of the panel is called Voice Acting in Video Games, The Fine Line Between Acting and Role Play." It's going to be talking about Felicia Day's newly announced role um, in the game from Dear Villager. And a bunch of the other people on the panel, including myself, will be talking about the impact of voice acting in role-playing games and how role-playing games really immerse you with the people who bring these characters to life in ways that other genres of video games don't necessarily do and i think it'll be a really interesting discussion and i've never done a panel with uh felicia before i've gotten the opportunity to do a couple things with morgan in the past and she's fantastic mm-hmm. so i'm um i'm looking forward to it so if you want to come come by on thursday at two thirty p.m do it yeah, so Brittany, Yo. enough about that. What's Good Games is doing a ton of stuff at pack. We
1: are. So you already talked about our panel, but we have streams too, Andrea. Did you know that? Of course you did, because you're going to be there. So Friday, February 28th from 12 to 2 Eastern Standard Time, we are going to be streaming. our. These are going to be our Patreon streams. However, things are going to be a little different this time around. We are going to be having our happy hour Q&A live stream, public and that is going to start around 12 p.m eastern so stay tuned to our social channels and we'll be on youtube.com slash what's good games twitch.com slash what's good games and mixer.com slash what's good games around that time and then after that concludes we are going to be hopping into our after hours stream which is still going to remain a patreon only stream to be a part of that you must be a patron and it's going to be a great time we're all going to squeeze into a little room together it's going to be lovely a little stuffy but that's okay we used to, it's literally it, called a pod. Not a tripod. <laughs> oh, that was really dumb, but I thought it was clever. I know. There's love like, it. you know, three of us. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be great. And then we have our PAX East meetup Friday, February 28th from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern at Lucky's Lounge in the Sinatra Room. You do not need a PAX badge to come. It is all ages until 9 p.m. So if you do plan on sticking around, it will be 21 and over at that point. We'll be hanging out. It'll be a good time. We're going to have food. I think everyone yeah. loves food. We love food. Snacks, here, snacks, snacks, snacks. It's we're bribing you with food. It's going to be amazing. And then, is that it? I'm looking through all of our. Thi- There's like a whole bunch of bullet points here. Okay. Oh, yeah. So at the at both
0: the meetup and the panel, we're going to be doing giveaways. So I have this oh, yeah. giant box of prizes that include video games. It includes apparel. It includes hardware. And there's a whole bunch of fun stuff. So, if you guys want a chance to win some of those prizes, you have to come to the meetup and to the panel. So, we had this amazing custom pin oh. that we had designed and from Matt A. Plays, who submitted a fantastic design for the Extra Life poster contest back in October. And unfortunately, due to the factory shutdowns in China around coronavirus, We were not able to get our pins in time, and we even reached out to American printers as well, knowing that this could potentially be a problem. And as you would expect, all of the people who normally buy products in China have been sourcing from American factories, and they're just overloaded. And they were like, there's no way we can get this printed for you. And we've heard from a lot of people, actually, that... It sounds like several Penny Arcade pins aren't going to make it, and a lot of developer pins that they had planned aren't going to make it because of the factory shutdowns in China. So, a uh, small bummer, but yeah. the good news is that we will get the pins, <laughs> and we will bring them to PAX West, and I'm not sure if we're going to be able to sell them online. I know that's probably going to be a question that people are going to ask about, but... Um, it's our Powerpuff pin. Oh, they're they so really freaking it. cute. They're amazing. And we'll post photos of them on our social media. But we're worried about copyright issues with posting them anywhere officially. So, yeah, you
1: know, we don't, don't think we, that's don't like sued. Yeah, I
0: don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately. <laughs> mm. yeah.
1: So, but they're cute. Sorry, everybody at Pax East. We tried.
0: We even ordered them like five weeks ahead of time. Like what we were supposed to. Yeah. Didn't we, were, we were
1: being responsible. It's
0: just sometimes it's not enough. Yeah. That's yeah. true. That's yeah. the way the cookie crumbles.
1: Mm, cookies. Mm, cookies. Uh, did you do the Patreon-produced segment announcement? No, but you can go ahead if you want. I have some tequila I'm drinking. Oh, okay.
0: Well, as you guys know, every month at patreon.com slash Games, we pull you for our Patreon-produced segment. Oh. And for the month of February, we have a really fun topic. But because of the way the timing worked out st- with Steimer being gone and other things that we had happening in the month of February – we're like, oh, dang, we ran out of days because February is short. So we're going to bump it into March. And I think we're going to talk about it with our special guest, Rihanna Manuel, who's yes. joining us on the panel in Boston because she is going to be joining us as a guest on the show the week after to talk about everything we saw at PAX. So it will be fun to do that segment with her. So if you're like, what happened to the segment? Don't worry. We will bring it to you in the near future. Bum, bum, okay. bum. Uh, thank you to this month's Patreon producers Speaking of which Chewy's godson Alex Rogopoulos Oh who we got to see at Dice He's so lovely um, Daniel Hull Ferris Ate, Muhammad, Muhammad, Marcus Brown Daniel Hull And <laughs> punctified. Did you leave it in there twice again? Is it's, it's, a it's a joke It's joke? a joke
1: oh, Daniel reached out And he had, Don't remove his name How dare you Daniel reached out It's not out, fair and it, to the other producers <laughs> It's kind of a long running joke Deleting it a to, deleting see, Daniel, to see I'm how sorry. long we could get Yeah well Daniel I guess that's over But we got her for one more week buddy We did the thing what about
0: what about Mohammed Mohammed? Moe, Moe has been a Patreon producer for a very long time. We haven't
1: read his name twice. Mohammed Mohammed. Just read it twice. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Technically we read it twice every month.
0: That's no. true. Okay. Um, welcome to our Patreon community. Justin Solomo, Jonathan Harris, Tyler Brebner, Coronda Martinez, Ian Seer, Albert Menefi, and Daniel Richardson. Thank you so much for signing up to be part of our fantastic community. Hope you guys join us on your first stream this Friday. I want to give
1: a huge shout out to all the new podcast reviewers. I feel like ever since we've been highlighting these fine folks, we're getting more and more people to leave us reviews. And we say it, but we can't say it enough. It really, really helps us out in the search algorithms and all that good stuff. So, huge thank you. And this week, we got worms, yo jess malone mito gomez 713 berna appetit pineapple pizza sucks md <laughs> fantastic and this person in the review said they also love jeff which is <laughs> so i good. saw that i saw that review i was like oh my gosh this jeff thing's never gonna die so good <sighs> wasky one sakul blade roblox aka 11 year old tommy <laughs> And this was this Kind Souls review. <clears throat> Hello, my name is Tommy, and I'm 11 years old. I don't know if I should be watching it, but I like it. So I am. Freaking cracks me up. I saw that, and I was like, oh, no, Tommy. We'll teach you things, Tommy. Thank you for listening, and don't tell your parents about us. We'll teach you uh, things, Tommy. <laughs> we got Narcus underscore zero one, AJ Rabbit 92, Starkiller 2007, Super Rubio, and Jason Time is Zero Savoie. Savoie. So thank you all again. It really does help us out. And we appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Mwah. Also, Andrea, like I mentioned earlier, I'm trying tequila this week. Yes. It's, uh, it's an experience. I told you before we started shooting that it feels like I'm biting into cacti. And I, once again,
0: (laughs) am super confused (laughs) about where this analogy is coming from. But you know
1: what? That's okay. I don't have to know. You don't have to. It's not necessary for me to know. It's like my balloon water analogy. It makes sense in my head. Yes.
0: It's a special place in there. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm glad that you're drinking tequila. Um, Even though I did pick up as I texted you.
1: Oh, yeah. Peanut Butter Bourbon Whiskey. I'm so excited. I've seen Uh, this. I've seen this advertised. I haven't pulled the trigger, but you did. So now it's going to happen. Yeah, so
0: I was in BevMo realizing, hey, you know, I'm fresh out of bourbon. And um, don't worry, I picked up a 1.75 of Maker's Mark at Costco. But then I was like, I want to go pick up some, (laughs) I want to go pick up some, maybe some fancier bourbon over at BevMo. So I headed on over there and I was like, all right, let me just take a peruse at what they got. And then I saw this, peanut butter whiskey and I was like I'm curious <laughs> because <laughs> how how do they make it taste like peanut butter also is it like sweet is it more nutty flavored mm. is it really strong or does it still retain the flavor of of the whiskey and I was like there's only one way to find out to so buy it and try it for science so it's going to be part uh we're going to make a special video and it'll be fun I'm so we'll excited do that next time you're in town okay um, how about we get into the news? What do you think, Brett? Yeah, it's been you know an hour.
1: <laughs> it hasn't been a full. It feels full like it. <coughs> probably because we were in like pre-show recording for forty-five minutes, thirty minutes. I don't know how long.
0: Yeah, it was about. It was a long time. It's we were we were having a conversation, and then we were like, you know, we should probably start the show at some point. And here we go. Let's get into the news. Oh, psych! Before we do that, I've got to tell you that it's brought to you by GameStop. GameStop is about to level up its pro level Power Up Rewards members with stronger benefits and more flexibility toward new and pre owned video games, accessories, collectibles, and more. You spoke and GameStop listened to key feedback from customers, and they're implementing changes to their Power Up Rewards program. So, some of those key changes that they're going to be implementing are as follows. First, and this one's pretty exciting if you're a regular GameStop shopper like Brittany is, an instant $5 reward certificate welcome gift. Mm -hmm. So when you're inside GameStop and you're buying something and then the lovely associate is like Do you have a Power Up Rewards membership? And you're like, no, dog, I don't, what's that? They're like, well, let me tell you all about it. It's got all these perks, which I'm about to line up for you. And they're like, wanna sign up today? And you say, yes, I do. They instantly are like, here's a $5 gift certificate that you can use towards anything in the store. Well, asterisk, not anything, almost anything. Uh, So that coupon, by the way, you can use it on things like new games, pre-owned games, toys, collectibles, and a ton of other stuff. Plus, you guys will get your choice of two different levels of pro membership. One of them is $19.99 a month, or excuse me, a year, and comes with a physical copy of the Game Informer magazine. The other one is $14.99 for a digital copy. And I want to give a quick shout out to all of our friends who work at Game Informer, including guests on the show, Kim Wallace. Aww. Kimberly, we love you. We're going to see you at GDC. If you guys don't read Game Informer, if you haven't checked it out in a while, they do phenomenal feature work and coverage of of the video games industry. Uh, so many friends that work over there at GI. And if you guys haven't seen it, like, I don't know how you know, no one's mm-hmm. seen Game Informer. It's like an industry standard for gaming magazines. Anyway, GameStop rewards pro members are also going to receive exclusive offers and savings during GameStop's pro day sales. And if you guys don't know, they often have fantastic trading deals, which have become very handy for the new console sales that are happening in the fall. I remember when I traded my day one Xbox One and traded it in on pro day. So I got extra bonus credit to Mm. buy an Xbox One X. And it was like chef's kiss. I was like, thank you, GameStop. Um, So if you guys haven't considered that, maybe you're like, actually, maybe I do want to trade in my old... PS4 that whirs like it's taken off to go to outer <laughs> space for the PS5. Um, keep an eye out on those Pro Day sales offers. Plus, they've also added an auto-renewal option to ensure customers' benefits never lapse. Additionally, Power Up Reward Pro members can join GameStop Gives in supporting charity organizations who are helping to make a difference for youth, veterans, and so much more. In the Power Up Rewards Center, members can choose to game for good by donating points to Make-A-Wish and Extra Life. You guys know that we did work with Extra Life I talked about it not that long ago How we streamed to raise money for them in the fall They are a fantastic charity Make-A-Wish is also a phenomenal charity I know GameStop has been doing a lot of work With Make-A-Wish And the idea that you can make purchases And then donate points off of your purchases To help these charities Is a Mm -hmm. really cool idea And a great way to gift your points And pay it forward If you are like one of those people That's like yeah but I'll never use my points Hey maybe you get the membership And then you donate your points Boom you did something good for the day if you guys want to learn more about GameStop's Power Up Rewards Pro membership program, visit www.gamestop.com slash Power Up Rewards. That's gamestop.com slash Power Up Rewards. Or, of course, you guys can just head on in to your local GameStop. It was so great to have Drew on the show last week. Thanks again, Endorphins, uh, for chatting with us so that he could give us a different perspective on that GameStop story. And I think it was really powerful listening to him talk about how important it is to support those local stores if you believe in the kind of camaraderie that gaming brings and you don't want to see those stores go away, then you need to go in and support those people in your community that work in those stores. So uh, thank you to GameStop for sponsoring the show today. And we hope that this maybe inspires you guys to go down to your local store and say hi to the folks that work there. Maybe introduce yourself. Say, hey, I was listening to What's Good Games and they were talking about how I should come in and say hi, and so here I am. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, Brittany, do you want to read... This first story,
1: I would love nothing more. One, Andrea Renee. All right, so this comes from Polygon. This is called Microsoft Reveals More Xbox Series X Specs. I got to zoom in because my eyes just aren't what they used to. Okay, here we go. Microsoft revealed new details on its next-generation console, the Xbox Series X, on Monday morning, confirming specifications on what the company calls its, quote, superior balance of power and speed for its new hardware. The next-gen Xbox, Microsoft said, will be four times as powerful as the original Xbox One, the Xbox Series X X. "Quote: Next generation custom processor will employ AMD's Zen 2 and RDNA to architecture, head of Xbox Phil Spencer wrote on the Xbox website. If I do dumb voices like that, it's because I have no idea what any of those things mean. <laughs> they just sound really cool. I'm making it sound great. All right. Quote, delivering four times the processing power of an Xbox One and enabling developers to leverage 12 tera flops of GPU graphics processing unit performance twice that of an Xbox One X and more than eight times the original Xbox One, Spencer said. He called the next generation Xbox, Xbox's processing and graphics power, quote, a true generational leap offering higher frame rates with support up to 120 frames per second and more sophisticated game worlds. That 12-terra flops claim is twice that of what Microsoft promised with the Xbox One X, then known as Project Scorpio, when it revealed the mid-generation console update back in 2016. Wow. That was in 2016? Oh, boy. Time is going very, very, very fast. You probably don't need to read this whole
0: next paragraph because it gets a little jargony.
1: Yeah. Unless you're very excited about ray tracing. Yeah, I'm really actually (laughs) very excited, Andrea. I'm a very good tech nerd when it comes to this stuff. I'm sorry. Spencer also outlined the Xbox Series X's variable rate shading, saying, rather than spending GPU cycles uniformly to every single pixel on the screen, they can prioritize individual effects on specific game characters or important environmental objects. This technique results in more stable frame rates and higher resolution, with no impact on the final image quality. He also promised Hardware Accelerator at ray tracing, with, quote, true-to-life lighting, accurate reflections, and realistic acoustics in real time. Phil Spencer does not sound like this. He's a lovely man. I'm sorry, Phil. I'm not doing you any service right now. (laughs) Microsoft also reconfirmed features like SSD storage, which promise faster loading times as well as new ones, like Quick Resume for Xbox Series X. Quote, the Quick Resume feature lets you continue multiple games for a suspended state almost instantly. Multiple games? Interesting. Returning you to where you were and what you were doing without waiting through long loading screens, Spencer said. Oh God. Spencer also touched on efforts to reduce latency on Xbox Series X for both input and output. Quote, we're optimizing latency in the player-to-console pipeline, starting with our Xbox wireless controller, which leverages our high-bandwidth propriety, propriety wireless communication protocol when connected to the console. Sp- I'm, I'm laughing because it's all oh, right over my head. Spencer said, quote, with dynamic latency input DLI, a new feature which synchronizes input immediately with what is displayed, controls are even more precise and responsive. I tried to give you an out to be like, you don't have to read this whole thing. But see, the kids come to us for news, Andrea, and we have to they deliver do. the news. Because there's no fucking way you know I can explain this shit, right? I mean, maybe you can. But, oh, I, I, yes, I can a little bit Okay, well shit, shit You wanted bad stuff Okay, one paragraph, let's go We've partnered right. with HDMI form and TV manufacturers To enable the best gaming experience Through features such as auto low latency mode (ALLM) And variable refresh rate, VRR ALM allows Xbox One and Xbox Series X To automatically set the connected display To its lowest latency mode VRR synchronizes the display's refresh rate To the game's frame rate Maintaining smooth visuals without tearing Ensuring minimal lag and the most resistance responsive gaming experience and then you can of course go to the company's xbox wire post for more details
0: if you could possibly want more jargon <laughs> over to <laughs> the Xbox Wire. Um, so I think that this is all really exciting and very interesting, but a lot of what they're saying here is going to be dependent on a variety of X factors. So I think it's great that Xbox is leading the charge by saying, hey, we're going to build this into the box and then we're going to leave it up to the user to determine what kind of connectivity they have. So for example, even if we're talking about this ALL the auto low latency mode and the variable refresh rate. So that's widely going to be different depending on what type of television you have and what types of options are available. I do like the idea, hypothetically speaking, that when you plug the HDMI that comes with your Xbox One Series X into your smart television and the TV because it can then automatically sense from the signal coming from the Xbox, what kind of mode it's supposed to put in your television in to, to play cuz a lot of TVs now are adding like a performance or game mode that helps maximize frame rate and a lot of other specs that gamers want from their, you know, t- TVs to play video games mm-hmm. on. But, you know, it can be potentially problematic if you have specialty settings or if you do specialty calibration on your TV, you don't necessarily want The Xbox taking control over settings that you've already put together. But, I mean, that's so in the weeds of, like, specialty televisions and people who, ought like, custom calibrate their TVs probably, you know, don't really care that it does it automatically. They're like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do anyway.
1: I really appreciate this feature because I, as you can tell... When it comes to this jargon, I'm like, oh, I don't know what I just <laughs> said. It's a lot. Um, I got a TV from Best Buy a few years ago, specifically for gaming. I wanted a 4K TV. Unfortunately, I was – I mean, this is my fault for not doing my research. But the TV that was suggested to me by the employee um, suggested one that's not great for gaming. Input lag is really bad, and it's not great. I'm actually looking to upgrade. But the problem is when I'm trying to play these games, I don't know what mode to get in. Because I feel like if I want it to look beautiful, the input leg sucks. But if I don't want the input leg to go away, I have to tweak it so that the game doesn't look great. You know, it's it's a confusing thing. I like the idea of just plugging it in and walking away from it and be like, you go on through bad self technology gods.
0: Yeah, and think that's the problematic thing for a lot of people out there is that they – want to be able to have control over this and they want to be able to not feel stupid when they talk to somebody about it, right? And like, I think people who are big tech heads sometimes have this tendency to talk down to people who don't understand the differences between you know, frame rate and resolution. And it's like, yo dog, most people don't like and it's okay that they don't. Uh, What I think is really great about what Phil is saying in this article and what you know, Xbox is doing with Series X is that it seems like they're building in more high end features to give people more options. But what it comes down to at the end of the day is no matter what the box is capable of it comes uh-huh. down to the software and what the developers build in certain games allow you to toggle the difference between frame rate and resolution which are going to optimize performance for but not every game does and smaller games certainly do not and it's up to you as a consumer to either educate yourself on the differences between performance for frame rate or performance for resolution or to just turn everything on auto and hope for the best <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> so, but listen, Brittany, please hmm. let let John and I help you purchase your next television. Oh, yeah. I should say, let John help you. It's one of his passions is AV tech. He's like super nerdy about it. And Oh, I know. You could chat your ear off about which which television.
1: Yeah, I'm just gonna say, send me a one sentence text message of the best TV for me to get. That's all. That's all I need because you just can get the TV that
0: we have. It's great. Yeah, oh, oh I know it's, it's beautiful. Good. It's a yeah, very, Samsung's Samsung makes good TVs. Feel
1: TV. So shout out to Chris Carter from Destructoid. Because he kind of broke this article down in a way that I can understand it. I mean, it's this, all this information is in that article that we just read. But he's like, that 12 teraflops essentially means that it's eight times as powerful as Xbox One and two times of Xbox One X. Then he moves on to what VRS does. It basically translates to higher frame rates, ray tracing, lighting effects, quick resume. Uh, so now that I like read – I don't want to say the dumbed-down version. But now that I've read a simpler version, it's, it's really exciting. But I think this all kind of goes back to what we were just saying, where the box – I mean, I'm in a position right now where I don't even think I need new consoles. I think the consoles we have now are fantastic. They do the job. Obviously, getting rid of the load screens would be awesome. If it looks prettier, that's fantastic. But like you said, all comes down to the software and what kind of games are going to be on the platform. I think Xbox has done a really great job this generation despite botching it in the first part of it, to build up this amazing foundation. They have all these new studios. They have Xbox Game Pass, which is going to go with the new console. They have um, the smart delivery, which we're going to talk about, I'm sure, in a second. And then they've announced that your peripherals will work with Xbox Series X and going forward, which is also great. It's, it's exciting.
0: I'm with you. I think Xbox is firing on all cylinders right now, and I'm so happy that they are coming into this next generation with, you know, the fire lit under them to say, hey, you know, we had a successful Xbox One generation. It didn't, you know, compete with PlayStation on a global level, but it was successful for Microsoft and we are now entering into the next generation generation looking towards the future. I think it's been really interesting listening to several of Phil's interviews over the past couple of weeks talking about how he believes, you know, the hardware era is probably going to be coming to an end sooner than we think it is and that cloud is going to be a big focus and that he sees, you know, Amazon and Google as their main competitors and not Sony and Nintendo. And I think it's going to be interesting to watch exactly where they go. So I love this kind of side story that came out this week in related news to the Xbox specs that are happening for Series X. Uh, so CD Projekt Red announced that Cyberpunk 2077 is going to be available for Xbox One cross-buy. So they tweeted this week that gamers should never be forced to purchase the same game twice or pay for upgrades. Owners of Cyberpunk 2077 for Xbox One will receive the Xbox Series X upgrade for free when available. Fuck yeah, man.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, that's... I had this moment of reflection the other day. I guess that was yesterday when this news broke, right? Yeah. Um, where I was just thinking about, you know, back in the day, you know, you have a Super Nintendo, it's a cartridge, you get your cartridge, you stick it in, that's the game you have, right? And then like the next revelation, there's games that can be patched. And now this new revelation of we've come so far from those days. Now it's, you know, you buy one game for one console, and it will work on the next generation console whenever you're ready to update. And it's just, it's crazy. This is the stuff I think next generation is made of. These yes. little improvements and these extra perks. Because I think we're at a point now where if these consoles weren't going to be backwards compatible, like it's it's just kind of unacceptable at this point. So I'm happy we're finally there. And I'm happy that Xbox specifically, I, I'm assuming, I'm hoping PlayStation will do the same thing. I feel like they kind of got to. I mean, they don't really have to, but they should. They should. <laughs> they should. They, no, they definitely don't, have, don't to. have to. And so this when
0: this tweet happened... And everyone was like, this is awesome. Why isn't everybody doing this? And I was like, you know, here's the thing. Um, Not everybody can afford to do that. Um, There's a lot of smaller development teams in particular that cannot afford to make builds for both games because they're not identical builds. There are two different builds uh, for both consoles. And so either Microsoft is subsidizing this, which I believe they have to be because they've had a partnership with Cyberpunk since the beginning, since this game was announced, right? We had Keanu on stage last year at the Xbox One press conference during E3. Who knows what they're going to do this year to top that. But, you know, so CD Projekt Red has been working with Xbox on this. And so the idea that every developer can do this is, I I just want to be clear, is not feasible nor possible. Mm -hmm. So while I think as gamers, we can all go, this is awesome. We're so glad that CDPR is doing this. Please just keep in mind... That this they just not did not just do this out of the goodness of their heart, and they did not just announce it for Xbox One. Coincidentally, I am very convinced that Xbox helped fund the development of this cross-buy. And is Xbox going to do that for every game? Definitely not. They can't afford to do it for every single game out there. But we're hoping that some of the bigger publishers, like your EA's, your Ubisoft, your Activision, your Bethesda's, etc., will look at the cost and go, "Hey." what can we do to try to encourage gamers to keep playing in our games and our ecosystems, moving from one generation to the next? This has always been a problem, mm-hmm. right, when we swap generations. I think this is the first generation that I can remember in a long time where it feels like the technology is not super far apart. Right. And so it's not going to be as big of a challenge. But what the thing that they haven't announced is and maybe this is in a Q&A somewhere, and I'm not sure if there's an answer, is will I be able to bring my save that to me is the most important part. We've seen a lot of you can cross. you can
1: yes. I have a thing Ooh, here. There it is. Uh, duh, 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 duh. Yeah, this is a quote from Microsoft. We're also investing in consumer-friendly pathways to game ownership across generations, beginning with Halo Infinite next year. F- first-party games, okay. So a little tweak. First, car- first-party games at minimum will quote support cross-generation entitlements, and your achievements and game saves are shared across devices. So it sounds like it's confirmed for first party. For first party. Right. Okay. So that makes sense. First party,
0: because it's all, you know, within the same ecosystem. If third party can also confirm that, that's like a gigantic win. And Mm -hmm. I'm super excited about the prospect of that. That's really been the thing for me about Stadia that's been frustrating, is that I really want to play Assassin's Creed Odyssey and really dig into the DLC on Stadia, because then I can bring it with me whenever I'm traveling. But I can't move my save. And I have way too many hours into it on PS4 to start over.
1: (laughs) I want to go back to something real quick that you're saying, how every studio can't obviously essentially make like an extra version of their game for the Series X. Um, For what it's worth, the Xbox Series X, and this is via Tweak will have its own built-in boost mode functionality that automatically and natively upscales the performance of all supported games across the Xbox, Xbox 360, and Xbox One eras. This means that all games will run better on Xbox Series X and older titles in particular will benefit from enhanced frame rates, better load times, reduced screen tearing, and adjusted resolution. Granted, this isn't like a CD Project Red cyberpunk situation, but it is something which I think is also very exciting.
0: So, yeah, they announced that a while back that they were essentially going to take their backwards compatibility program that they have on Xbox One, also make it available on Xbox Series X so that games that you bought on Xbox One, you can essentially up res -res on, (laughs) on Series X, which I think is awesome. And I think during that discussion, we talked about how we don't really
1: go back and play older Xbox games. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And we were like, no. that's cool. But Mass Effect. Maybe effects. not for
0: us, but maybe it's for you.
1: But Mass Hooray. Effect. Mass Effect, Andrea. Mass Effect. Only if I can bring my save. I doubt I can bring my Xbox 360 save. I think you can. I think, and the reason I say this is because I remember when we had this episode. Somebody did
0: email me about this, and they are like, well, Andrea, actually, if you do this, I think the problem was Mm -hmm. that I was like, oh, that would require me to dig my 360 out of the box that it is somewhere in this house, turn it on, update it. And hope that it still turns on and works.
1: Oh, Ripple Xbox baby. <laughs> I am
0: really glad about our cloud safe future that we're in. Oh dude. I mean, <clears throat> that Xbox and PlayStation are in. Um mm-hmm. oh, we're and not it, going to we're not going to digress no, we, yeah, into yeah, other that consoles is. that are not in a cloud safe future.
1: <laughs> I'm just a dent. What's that living in a cloud safe future? No, I fucked that up. Material is isn't that like material world, but like change that to cloud safe future. I don't know. Oh, are you th- are you thinking of um,
0: Madonna? I was material thinking girl? of Madonna.
1: Yeah, I was trying to like take that song and roll with it, but I botched it terribly.
0: Living in a material world. But material. across the- cloud save world. But you want to make it living in a cloud save
1: world. Cloud, cloud save saves. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thanks for in like not cloud. for not giving up on me. I tried. I failed. But you picked <laughs> it right up and you just took it home, baby girl. And I love you for that. <laughs>
0: This is what I'm here for. I'm here for you. For and me. your wacky ideas, Brittany. Thanks. Okay. Uh shall we move on? Sure. Is there anything else you would like to talk about in related to these this Xbox Series X Specs story?
1: Uh no, I think we kinda covered it. I think this is really cool, really exciting, very consumer yes. friendly. Let's go. Yes. Next gen. Uh.
0: Come on, Xbox, crush it. I'm ready
1: for you to come back swinging. I loved my 360. I think it would be interesting, actually, to go back real quick and talk about Sony's response to this. What do you think they're going to do? Oh, Sony had a response? No, no, no. Like, hypothetically. Like, what are... No. Like, what do we think they're going to do? Oh, you mean... How are they going to respond? Are they going to have something similar set up where they have this cool cross by thing? that's That's a great question. I honestly... I don't know. There
0: clearly has been chatter about PS5 being backwards compatible. Right. We don't have a lot of the specs from PlayStation 5 outside of what the, those two Wired articles <laughs> have uh, given us. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people were hopeful that we would get specs at GDC, but now, our reveal event, PlayStation and Sony have withdrawn from the Game Developers Conference as they withdrew from PAX, which we discussed last week. So I don't think that's happening. Uh, So I don't know when we're going to get specs. Hopefully before E3.
1: Please. I mean, yeah. February was the month of the rumor, right? That this was going to be the month that we get the PlayStation 5 details. Well, I mean, I doubt that's happening. I mean, yeah, no, the month is basically over. We got four days left, baby girl. You never know what can happen in four days.
0: They wouldn't just drop a state of play without an, without any no, warning if they were actually going to do PS5 news. But then again, maybe they would it's because they revealed the PS5 with a random wired exclusive that I never saw coming. So you know what? I think my days of speculating about PlayStation's marketing and PR strategy are maybe coming to an end. <laughs>
1: Opposite side of Nintendo. Like, you have Nintendo. You don't understand half of what they do. Then you have PlayStation. And you're like, well, they're PlayStation. They can do that. And then Nintendo can do what they do because they're Nintendo. Anyway, we'll see. Yes,
0: yes exactly. See? <laughs> That's it. And there you go. All right. Speaking of GDC and uh, pulling out of things... Uh... Um... Have you guys heard about this coronavirus business that's going around? Of course you have. We talked about it on the show last week. So there has been more updates about gaming industry events that have been affected. Our friends over at IGN are keeping a living article where they are updating just exactly everything that's being affected by the coronavirus, better known as COVID-19, which is you know, the more medical abbreviation for what the virus actually is because a coronavirus is a type of virus. If you want to learn all about it, I tweeted a video from the World Health Organization. Anyway, I digress. They write, with ongoing concerns about the spread of COVID-19, game companies are increasingly pulling out of major events for the protection of their employees and the public. Below is a list of dropouts, changes, and cancellations at game shows across the world forced by the current health crisis. We'll update the story and... When more news emerges. Hold on. Let me just, for the record, say this is not a crisis. Who has not declared this a pandemic yet? Everybody just calm down. Just calm down, everybody. Just...
1: It's a thing. Take a deep breath. Uh, Yeah. And then the latest... Just, I th- just I get thought, calm. Never mind. Don't worry about it. Keep going. Sorry. Do you have something you would like to add, Brittany, during my moment of zen? I was going to. I thought I read something today where who did say it's technically considered a pandemic, but I might have read an incorrect article. Did the
0: World Health Organization or the Center for Disease Control say it?
1: I believe so. I, I heard chatter from- No, a this is the problem, Brittany. I that, know. That I heard, he heard, she
0: said, this thing, I read this thing. Look it up for me, would mm-hmm. you, while I read this article? Yes, yes. Okay, here we go. Um, the Taipei Game Show- which was supposed to be February 6th through the 9th, was the first victim of the coronavirus. Um, that happened, um, you know, obviously a couple of weeks back. The show has been postponed to an unspecified later date. Uh, the next victim, which we talked about last week, was PAX East. Sony announced, of course, that they were no longer going to be attending PAX in any capacity, including canceling the first public hands-on of The Last of Us Part Two, And then Capcom cancels developer involvement in the Monster Hunter Festa event that was due to take place during PAX East. The event itself will still take place, apparently, but just nobody from Capcom will be there. Yeah. Which is a little crazy to me, but sure, I guess they were like, listen, we pay the deposit for the party. They're not going to refund us our money. We already bought the Trade Pass mini sliders. Somebody Ooh, go Sunders. and eat the food and drinks that we bought.
1: We'll do that. We'll be there.
0: <laughs> um, Square Enix also squared or squared back, scaled back their PAX East showing with no Japanese staff to attend the show. Final Fantasy developer and fan sessions are canceled, but other Square events at the show will continue as planned, which makes sense because Japan is one of the more restricted countries when it comes to the virus outbreak, but Square Enix has a North American department that's based here in California. So they, it sounds, from the looks of this, will be attending the show as planned. Um, And then the mayor of Boston... Feeling the heat from all of these companies withdrawing from one of Boston's largest events throughout the year, uh, Marty Walsh's name. Send an open letter to Sony urging the company to reconsider its decision to skip PAX East, saying, quote, these fears reinforce harmful stereotypes that generations of Asians have worked hard to dismantle, reads Walsh's letter. So this has been a whole nother issue that's been surfaced due to the coronavirus concerns is that there are several Chinese American districts in major cities throughout the United States that are seeing um, vandalism, that are seeing loss of business. And specifically in Boston, the mayor talks about how their Chinatown in Boston has seen a dramatic reduction in business as people specifically aren't going to Chinese businesses, which is Crazy because like, yo, just yeah. because they are Chinese Americans in America doesn't mean that they have the virus. That's not that's not how that works. Uh, <laughs> can you like, hear ignorance?
1: This, I don't know. It's,
0: it's, so, it's so frustrating. And I can only feel for those business owners that have lost, you know, potentially tens of thousands of dollars worth of business because people are dumb, straight up. People are dumb and they don't know how to... Get their information from legitimate sources. And maybe they're racist. Who knows? Maybe it's a little bit of column A, column B, column C. Um, Anyway, I digress. Continuing on. Game Developers Conference, GDC, which we've been talking about, which is in just a couple of weeks. PlayStation and Facebook have both announced that they are not going to attend GDC despite the fact that both companies have North American headquarters in San Francisco. So literally nobody has to travel anywhere. They just have to drive up the freeway. But you know what? Sh- sure, that's that's totally fine. Just cancel <laughs> cancel your presence at GDC. That's cool. Um, so they said quote, we are e- e- sorry, moving. Sorry, that's a that's a typo. We are moving our fir- our booth footprint and are advising all employees to refrain from travel during the show. An Oculus spokesperson so, said.
1: Are they worried that the virus is going to be there? I'm assuming this is it. Or I mean, it, that it, it has it has to it be has that. to be. Yeah.
0: There are, like, what, I think three – I would have to check on the latest. There was a couple of confirmed cases in the Bay Area. I believe there was only one confirmed case in San Francisco proper, and that person has been in quarantine. Just like there was one confirmed case in Boston, that person also in quarantine. There was a couple of confirmed cases in NorCal, like north of the Bay, also in quarantine. Um, and I don't know what the latest is in San Francisco, but – I'm not going to rehash the argument we had last week. I'll say the same thing. Educate yourself. If you're worried, if you're part of a a fringe group that is incredibly at risk, make your own decision for yourself. I think that this is absolutely asinine. I cannot believe that Facebook, a company whose headquarters are literally like 20 miles down the freeway from GDC, are like, we're not going to be there. Oculus can't be there. Sure, don't fly your devs in that are from out of country. That makes sense, especially if they're from a country like South Korea or China that is in the quarantine zones. But all of your staff that's literally just in their office being like, do to do, I'm here in the Bay Area. I don't know. I don't get it. There must be something at work that I don't understand. Um, And then more... More people um, apparently jumping on the bandwagon. They're so like, oh, well, other people are doing it. Why don't we do it too? Kojima Productions has now pulled out of GDC, canceling two sessions at the show, including Hideo Kojima's talk on the design philosophy of Death Stranding, which was one of the more widely publicized and marketed talks of the conference. And so that's going to be kind of a big blow for devs who are really looking forward to seeing him publicly speak because he doesn't do a lot of public speaking. Right. About his development. So that's really a big bummer. But Japan, of course, one of the more affected countries. So not surprising. EA has now said that they're <laughs> also canceling their participation in GDC as well as, quote, limiting attendance to other unspecified events. The company will also restrict non-essential travel for employees.
1: <sighs> also, PUBG just announced a few hours ago, yes. PUBG Corp, that they are also pulling out Um Which again, that makes
0: sense. Yeah, PUBG Core is a Korean company. They're the second most affected country next to China. When I heard that, I was like, now that is a company that makes sense. Like the vast majority, they do have a North American team, but that team is much smaller. The core of PUBG Core's development team are Korea based. So I was like, of course, that makes sense. Like For Mobile Congress, this other major show that got canceled in Barcelona, it made sense that they canceled the whole show outright because Mm. several of the major exhibitors there are Asia-based companies. So for GDC, I'm just like, wait, what? A friend of mine texted me and was like, so what's the over-under on them just canceling GDC outright? I was like, first off, I really hope that nobody at GDC is considering that kind of hyper-reactionary Um, solution because the amount of money that developers pay to be part of GDC that they will lose is cannot be overstated. Not only is it a financial um, issue for a lot of developers who go to GDC, but also like GDC is one of the most important shows of the year for Mm -hmm. game developers, particularly people who are not currently employed or are between jobs. It's a great networking opportunity. It's a great learning opportunity for devs to go and listen to hundreds of talks that developers give on a wide range of topics. And I would think it would be pretty devastating if GDC decided to cancel the entire show because of coronavirus concerns, especially when there hasn't
1: been an outbreak in the United States. (laughs) Like what? (laughs) As of as of today. So as of today, real quick, I want to go back on my little statement about the pandemic thing. So what the quote was was quote Does this virus have pandemic potential? Absolutely, it has. Are we there yet? From our assessment, not yet. Who are you quoting? I am quoting the World Health Organization. Excellent. So I went to. CDC.gov, which
0: is the Centers for Disease Control's government website, they have a whole travel section that talks about all different types of, you know, um, contagious diseases around the world. And you can go there if you're like, hey, I'm thinking about going on a safari in Africa. What should I get for vaccines, et cetera? Like they have a bunch of resources for people. So, of course, they have a whole section dedicated to coronavirus, the COVID-19 variant, specifically for 2019. And on their website, as of right now, I just pulled it up, uploaded it. And it says right here that there are two countries under warning level three. So the CDC recommends that travelers avoid all non-essential travel to the following destinations, China and South Korea. No surprise there. Alert level two. These destinations are experiencing sustained community transmission of respiratory illness caused by the novel coronavirus, COVID-19. The virus can spread from person to person. Older adults and those with chronic medical conditions should consider postponing non-essential travel. Iran, Italy, and Japan. So, thus, Kojima Productions saying, yo, we Mm -hmm. can't come. Makes sense. Watch level one is the next level, and it says CDC does not recommend canceling or postponing travel to the following destinations. Travelers should practice usual precautions, and then it's Hong Kong is listed there. Um, other destinations with apparent community spread for people to be aware of, that, but the CDC is not recommending changing any travel plans, Include Singapore, Taiwan, Thailand, and Vietnam. And then literally everywhere else on the planet, a-okay for coronavirus
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's tricky i think i mean granted the coronavirus has you know it's killed a lot of people and that's awful and terrible i think what you see is just people tend to over exaggerate in certain situations as like you see in the states and the kind of panic that we're seeing i don't think it helps either when cdc puts out statements like they did I just had it up. I just closed it today where, you know, they say that, you know, disruptions could be severe. We could see schools closing down. We could see this happening. And I think people take that. And instead of thinking about it logically, they go into a panic mode. And maybe that's a little bit of what we're seeing here. Maybe it's kind of a liability thing. I don't know. Either way, Andrew and I are going to all of these events. Yes, we And we will be your guinea pigs. (laughs) So you don't have to worry about it. If you're going to stay home, well, we got you. Right.
0: I just, I just, I can't. Mm -hmm. I talked to my mom about this a lot because she works for the Department of Emergency Preparedness and Planning for the state health department underneath Homeland Security. They literally, it's literally her job to do preparedness and planning and response for pandemics. Like literally her job. Your mom's awesome. <laughs> she is. She's a badass. And if you were at Pax West, maybe you guys met her. Uh, her and her wife at the meetup. They're great.
1: Probably and one of my like, favorite
0: couples ever. Just
1: throwing <gasps> that out there.
0: Aww. they're so well, cute. You said that. <sighs> um, but I was like, so I was like, so mom, should I should I be freaking out? She was like, no, don't freak <laughs> out. Stop stop freaking out. Who's freaking out? And I was like, not me, mom. Everyone. But everybody else. She's like, listen. The CDC's worst problem right now is all of the misinformation that social media and the internet is spreading, and they're trying to combat it as best as they can. And it certainly doesn't help when the president of the United States is tweeting misinformation about this outbreak as well, inciting citing facts that were from a completely different virus outbreak than COVID-19. So all I would say to you is, again, what I said last week, and then I'll be done. Talking about that. I'm just going to smile for the rest of the segment. Go ahead. I'm just going to say this one thing. Don't believe just anything you read online, even from major news outlets. And that pains me to say, as a former journalist in a past life who went to journalism school.
1: They want your clicks. Okay, back to smiling. They,
0: they, they want our clicks. Go to the Center for Disease Control. Go to the World Health Organization. These are the people who are tracking this in real time. Those are the people you should trust. End. Rant. Done. Ah, Over.
1: Okay. Shall we talk about...
0: Yes, go ahead. Yes, Brittany.
1: Oh, no, I was just going to move on. (laughs) Yes, let's move on. Okay. All right. Next, we got a thing from Kotaku. YouTuber (laughs) banned from every EA game and online service after (laughs) rants and threats. Kurtz. Kurtz. Kurto. Is that a zero or a four? I don't know. Your name's dumb. Kurto 411 finet Fennec, a FIFA pro who is probably more notorious famous for his YouTube presence, has been hit with one of the most severe online punishments I've ever seen, this is the author saying that, having been banned by EA from playing any of the company's games online or even accessing any of their online services. The ban comes after Fennec's long-running feud with EA, which we've covered previously, reached a breaking point, with EA issuing the following statement earlier today. On November 2019, after a series of code of conduct violations as part of the EA Sports FIFA Global Series in which he threatened employees and other players, Kurt 0411... Was banned from competing or attending any EA Sports FIFA 20 Global Series events or future competitions. Since that time, Kurt has continued to post abusive and threatening messages and videos about EA employees and competitive players on social media, and he has encouraged others to do the same. His messages have crossed the line of decency into very personal attacks and breach our terms of service. We will not tolerate threatening behavior. As a result, today Kurt0411's EA account will be banned from playing our games. And accessing our services due to these serious and repeated violations. We build games and communities for players to have fun. Creating a safe and enjoyable experience for everyone without fear of harassment or abuse is a vital part of that. Our terms of service include a code of conduct that we ask players to abide by to keep our communities healthy and safe. We have an ongoing focus to create communities where everyone feels safe and respected, including in game toxicity reporting tools as well as new moderation tools. And we will continue to add more features. And then going back to the article. While the ban seems incredibly harsh, there's an argument it sets a heavy-handed precedent. Fennec's conduct has been extreme, and his monologues against FIFA have moved from simply complaining about the game to deeply unhinged tirades and threats against the game's developers. Here, for example, is a video from last year where an expletive-laden le- rant accumulates his in his spitting on an EA Sports <laughs> scarf. Wait, a sports expletive, scarf? Expletive-laden expletive. rant. Yeah, so I we, I saw the EA ple- Sports scarf, and I was like, what?
0: Yeah, so I didn't include this video. If you want to go find it, you can. It's quite frankly, it's it's a little boring. Um, but <laughs> essentially I just like I can't help but eye roll at people like this, but I'll talk about that in a second. So he what he did is he's doing he was playing an online match, he's streaming or doing one of his videos and he gets upset about the outcome of what happened and he goes on to talk about how he thinks the game is trash and it's broken, blah, blah, blah. And then he has this scarf, this EA Sports scarf that he was wearing. And he takes it. Or he wasn't wearing it. It was like on a table. He takes it and he like spits on it. And oh, it's just my like,
1: God. What? Cool, okay. <sighs> wow. Sure. All right, uh, a little paragraph left here. Shortly after his ban, a number of EA Sports employees had their Twitter accounts hacked while Fin was telling viewers of his YouTube channel extremely <laughs> normal things like, quote, in reality, every single one of these employees who has worked on the last couple of games should be unemployed right now. And, quote, it's about damn time you start caring about us. We deserve justice. We deserve a damn football game. And as of last week, Fennec went so far as collabing on the deeply cringeworthy diss track aimed at EA over a football video game. Are you fucking kidding? I'm not. Well, I mean, not. obviously. This is a
0: this is the thing that was reported like on multiple <laughs> outlets this week, so I was like, man, I feel like I
1: have to talk about this. Oh, no. This is just absolutely ridiculous. Good for you, EA. I think this is... Great. I think this is, a, like they said, a heavy handed, but it's good. This is what needs to happen. You know, this is bullshit. I think it's good that they're ma- taking a stand and saying we do not want this in our community. We do not do not want a part of this as our community. And granted, yes, it's just one person. An EA a company of that size is going to consistently have toxicity. It's not something, you know, it's something that can be handled, but obviously something that I don't think can be completely eradicated when you have a company that large. That said, the fact that they're taking a stance, the fact that they do have these moderation, report, these mod tools and these reporting tools, I think is setting a good standard. And this guy sounds like a fucking asshat.
0: Yeah, no, he definitely is. And this isn't his first offense. EA has banned him previously as well, temporary bans. And I think now they were just like, you know what? We're done with you, fuck boy. So I... Really love that EA is making big efforts to combat toxicity in a lot of their communities. So as we mentioned to you guys before, What's Good Games was hired by EA to be part of their Building Healthy Community Summit before EA Play last year. And that really helped kickstart, I think, some conversations both externally and internally among their teams and their game changers about how do we combat unhealthy conversations online, things that are toxic, things that don't make our community a fun and safe place to be. And what can we do about it? Not just from like a big top level, like EA wants to stand against harassment, because of course they do. But how do we in practice have this trickle down through all of our different teams as the largest publisher in the world to say we need to do more to make our communities better? And it's really interesting because when Brittany and I were at DICE just a couple weeks back, like this was part of the conversation we had at our roundtable, right? You know, while we're not at liberty to discuss the specific things people at the roundtable said, we can talk about where we were coming from. And it's fully in line with the action that EA took here. And I think the thing that we really pride ourselves on here at What's Good Games specifically is that we don't tolerate asshattery in our community. And Brittany comes and swings the band hammer pretty quickly. If it's somebody who is displaying a trend of behavior that is just there to be negative, that is just there to be, um, you know, insulting, trolly, whatever the word is you want to mm-hmm. use. You know, like, if you don't like this game so much, Kurt... Why are you still playing it? Here's the thing. of A serialized video game like FIFA is going to have good years and bad years. Some years the game is excellent. Some years the game maybe has some problems. And then the next year, you know, they add new things and it gets better and like... That's the way it is. And I think the fact that FIFA is still consistently one of the best video games in the world and one of the top-selling video games in the world year after year is a testament to the team that works on it that they're doing the best they can to innovate on that product every year, just like Activision and all of the different developers who work on Call of Duty, right? Like, everybody loves to hate on these people (laughs) because their games are successful. And it's like, yo, dog, the games are successful because people like to buy them. If the game sucked... People would stop buying yeah.
1: them. And I feel like EA is one of the companies, especially recently, that they want to have that player company communication, right? Or they want to have that relationship with the people who play their games on Twitch or Mixer and really help promote, you know, a healthy community. So it's it's one of those things where it's like, you don't have to be such a dick, You know, like you don't have to. If you want to get your message across, if you have a large enough following, I guarantee you know people at EA. I guarantee you there's a contact, someone you can chat with and be like, hey, I think this thing could be improved that way. But then again, Andrea, herein lies the problem that requires logic and a level head. And so many people don't require those two Mm -hmm. things. It's true. Britt, you're (sighs) so smart. I like to think so.
0: Yeah. (sighs) I think that's the thing that we always get into with people who are being negative in our comments is we never want people in our community to feel like they can't have a dissenting opinion yeah we absolutely want to hear from multiple points of view and we want people to feel comfortable having critical thought because obviously we are critical from time to time even though we focus on positive coverage because that's what we enjoy we like talking about things we love not things we hate but it's okay to say hey i'm very i'm really upset about this thing that happened in this game or this feature or how broken this thing is. And I want to talk about how I'm upset about it. But it's about how you talk about it. The tone you use, the voice you use, the language you use. And certainly, like, when you start to go after members of the development team and harass them and then you hack them, like, now you've lost lost all credibility. And, like, I don't even give a fuck what you have to say. Just, Just GTFO.
1: Just goodbye. You're done. It's like I spit on a scarf. Like, wow, on, bro, that's mature. That's really cool. And actually, yeah, going back on what you're saying, some of my favorite comments on our channel are the ones where people said, I was listening to the show and I was yelling to myself because I disagreed with a lot of that you're saying, but I love the show. Like, good job, ladies. Because again, it promotes healthy discourse. And I love it when someone disagrees with us and they convey their opinion in a respectful manner, because I feel like that's when you get the opportunity to learn another perspective that maybe you didn't think about. Right. So it's a Absolutely. Good thing. Absolutely. Yeah, I
0: mean, like shout out to Molly Bittner, who tried her darndest to win me over with her very compelling dissection of Death Stranding's mechanics and why it was so ingenious and amazing. And I was like, listen, Molly, I appreciate the effort that you've put into this. And I love that you love this game. I love that people love things because life is about loving things and it should be more about loving things. But I'm still going to respectfully disagree, but that's okay. But what I think is great about that interaction is that we were able to have a dialogue about it, just like she was able to have a dialogue about it with several other people, you know, in, in different forms about the game to be like, this is why I thought it was so great. And it was a way that I hadn't thought about
1: it. I was like, you know, I never thought about it from that perspective before. And I think that's cool. Yeah. Still not for me, but I'm not it's mad bad. about it on that note facebook.com slash groups slash what's good games we haven't talked about it a while on in a while but we have an awesome yeah. community of i don't know like 2300 people now at this point um who are all curated so we don't just add anyone we only add people who answer the questions. so we make sure that we have people who actually listen to the show who know what our thoughts are about respect and healthy discourse so if you want to you know talk with some like-minded folks you should check out that facebook page it's a good group Yeah, buddy. All right. Let's talk about something happy. (gasps) That sounds great, Britt. Yeah. So in case you missed it, we did have the Animal Crossing um, note in here, but I couldn't tell you anything that really happened during that because I was at a preview event and then I just kind of went home and slept for three days.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So the Animal Crossing direct happened the day before the podcast posted last week. And so... I did some rounds on Twitter looking for some news, and I feel like all I kept coming across was these Isabel and Doom memes.
1: (laughs) Those are so good, though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which is amazing, Mm -hmm. because as you guys may recall, Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing New Horizons have the same release date, and Bethesda, like started tweeting at Nintendo and then there was all this fan art that kind of surfaced of of her with Isabel, yes. the Slayer, uh, Isabel, yes. And I was just like, I kind of got down a rabbit hole looking at all these cool <laughs> artists, renderings that people were making of these two characters which don't belong in the same universe at all. <laughs> but And then I was like, wait, what was the direct about? I totally thought that I was supposed to be looking that up. So,
1: well, um, it happens. And I think there was an update about the backup issue oh um i'm there now i think they essentially said they're working on a fix i don't know if that's what we reported last time i don't even understand all i know is people like ran, andrea they uh we got some concerns that make sure you were okay that you didn't blow a blood vessel or anything but i told everyone that you're fine yes you did okay you're doing good yeah so okay there's animal crossing things happened that's about as much as you're going to get from us all right well they talked about the nook miles and the app and the new
0: progression system and um you know they talked about some characters that are returning uh, returning and um and then you know some of the different multiplayer options of course if you guys are listening to this wondering what happened in the direct i would say did you are you really an Animal Crossing fan? I feel yeah. like you would have known already. Yeah. So we're not going to recap that because it's literally a week old by, by now. but
1: anyway. Old news. Continue on. Continuing on. Today, Capcom announced that Resident Evil 3 demo is on the way. Uh, I got to play Resident Evil 3, and I'm going to talk about it in the next segment. So I'm assuming this is going to be the same demo that I got to play. Anyway, very, very exciting. So... It's going to be interesting to see if it's going to be another time demo like the Resident Evil 2 demo was at first. I hope it's not because while that was a cool idea in theory, I feel like it didn't really give players a chance to experience the game like they actually would IRL. So very very cool, very excited about that. And then via Gamespot, I thought this was a little fun interesting tidbit. According to former Bioware cinematic designer John, a- do you know how to say that last name Ebinger? Ebinger, and, and Ebinger, sorry, John. Around ninety-two percent of players opted to be the good guy in their Mass Effect playthrough. Quote: Something like ninety-two percent of Mass Effect players were Paragon, and we put a lot of work into the run again content too. Sad face. That was a tweet. Uh,
0: why is this surprising to them? You don't people... think really? Yeah, no. I think I think that they clearly underestimated how people want to play a hero. The vast majority of people out there want to be a hero and I think want to be good and want good things to happen to the people around them. But of course, there's (laughs) there's there's you devious people out there that are like, I'm with
1: the dark side. I want it all to crumble and burn. Yeah, I thought Uh, it was playing. You know, 92 percent is a very, very high percentage. I thought for sure it would be maybe closer to like 75, 25, but no, 92 percent. At my faith in humanity, man, it's it's going up after that mm-hmm. last story, especially. I need this. I never did a Renegade playthrough. Me neither. And You played I, the I've game all a, my, a lot, a lot. Yeah, um, never once. Nope. Mm-hmm.
0: Never had a desire because, like, I don't, I don't find it enjoyable. That's why I got kind of frustrated with some of the um, choices, conversation choices in some recent games that I've played. I think there were some conversation choices in the outer world, some conversation choices in life is strange too that i was like why are these like why are these people being such dicks mm. i don't know i feel like if i have the choice to be charming and funny and nice versus <laughs> i'm going to be an asshole and sarcastic like why would i choose
1: to be an asshole i feel like that is just logic that should be applied to everyone's day-to-day life
0: you know but that's yeah no i agree but i think that's also just inherently who i am this is where we right. need steimer to come in and be like well actually <laughs> let me tell you why being salty <laughs> is the best um but she's not she's <laughs> she's not <laughs> uh yeah you and know I was i'm just like and about- everybody just feel good about life
1: we're alive we're yeah. breathing yeah oh my god <laughs> <laughs> I I'm too worried about hurting people's feelings in video games. That's why I'm always nice. I like legit cringe and get anxiety if I'm worried that I'm gonna upset someone. So I don't even think I could do renegade if I wanted to. But there you go. People are good. I'm with you, Britt. There
0: we go. Um okay, cool. Now I want to play Mass Effect. So no. should we just end the show now and go play Mass Effect? Uh let me talk about Resident Evil first. Okay, and if you insist. All right, when we come back, everybody, we're going to talk about what we've been playing. You know what's coming. Brittany is going to verbally barf (laughs) about Resident Evil, and it's going to be amazing. We'll be right back. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the What's Good Games podcast. It's segment two where we talk about what we've been playing at any preview events that we have gone to. And you may have noticed last week, Brittany teased that she played not one but two secret games that we are now going to talk about. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that this segment is brought to you by Logitech G. Let's talk about the most advanced gaming keyboard ever made, the G915. Logitech G has combined sophisticated design, cutting-edge technologies, and breakthrough engineering to bring you the ultimate wireless gaming keyboard. The Logitech G915 is a new class of mechanical gaming keyboard featuring breakthrough light speed wireless technology. With a super fast one millisecond report rate, light speed wireless makes issues like lag a thing of the past. G915 is engineered with LightSync, Logitech G's amazing next-gen RGB lighting. With LightSync, you can customize the lighting colors of any or every key and even synchronize your keyboard lighting to match the action in your games, music, and videos. Features that you may want to take note of include the new high-performance mechanical gaming switches. Did we talk about switches? Do you guys know about switches? If you're a PC gamer, I'm pretty sure you know about switches. But if you're not, maybe you're like, what the heck are switches? So switches are essentially the little piece that goes underneath the key that attaches the key to the keyboard. And so when you press down on a letter, like a W for WGG, there's a little switch that makes that thing happen. So the G915 has low-profile switches that give you guys supreme gaming speed and accuracy at half the height of traditional switches. So this means smoother, more comfortable key presses from your opening attack to victory. What I really love about these switches is the low-profile height. So the previous Logitech keyboard I had was phenomenal. Also had cool RGB. Not as cool as the Lightspeed stuff, but those keys were twice the height and so when you're typing a lot or if you're editing or even if you're gaming a lot those little differences can really make a big difference over a long period of time so again it comes down to personal preference some people like membrane some people prefer mechanical I mean people's preferences on keyboard really just comes down to the person right but I'm really all about these low profile low profile switches Speaking of quality, there's premium quality inside and out in this incredibly thin, beautiful aluminum alloy top plate and durable keys, refined media controls, and customizable G keys to execute complex actions actions with a single keystroke. The rechargeable battery powers you through even the longest gaming session with 30 hours of nonstop battery life with a quick three-hour charge. So as I mentioned... The thing I really love about the G915 is, of course, the switches are great. Having to be wireless is something that I didn't think I needed. But once I cut the cord on my keyboard, not literally, you know, (laughs) figuratively speaking. Seriously, it's one of those things that... Once you're able to clear up your desk space from extra wires, it makes a world of difference in organization and aesthetics on your desktop. So I was super glad to be able to finally go wireless with my keyboard, and I'm absolutely loving this keyboard. And the RGB technology with LightSync, I haven't tested with games yet, but I always have it going because RGB, I know, can sometimes be gimmicky to some people, but I love it. I want Mm -hmm. RGB on everything. Light up, light up everything
1: when you're like, in Make your house. All rainbow
0: colors. I mean, yeah, I have – my house is basically like a, one big RGB. It's true. I like LED stuff, you guys. It's just, it's just a thing. Um, if you're listening to this going, you know what? I haven't checked out Logitech G's products in a while, and I've been thinking about upgrading my keyboard, my mouse, my headset. Well, guess what? We have a special offer for What's, offer for what's Good gains listeners – Logitech G is offering 10% off any of their products at LogitechG.com with our promo code, What's Good. That's 10% off any of the products products at LogitechG.com at L-O-G-I-T-E-C-H-G.com with that promo code, What's Good. Don't forget the G, you guys. It's not just Logitech. It's LogitechG.com Logitech for 10% G. off. What's good. 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 Good,
1: good, good, good,
0: good. All right, everybody. Brittany, the time has come. Uh, Oh, yeah. Which game
1: do you want to talk about first? I will talk. I have essentially three games to talk about this segment. So I will start with not Resident Evil 3, not Resident Evil Resistance, but Baldur's Gate 3. Wow. So, (laughs) So just as a heads up, I because I do have a lot to talk about I have a whole template of notes in front of me so I'm going to be going okay. down these so if any point Andrea you have questions or comments just interrupt me because otherwise Should I I'm raise just be my going hand on this you can wave your hand yes okay. okay so I was invited to San Francisco to see the latest and greatest from Larian Studios which is Baldur's Gate 3 so this game was formally announced in June of 2019 for PC and Google Stadia. It's getting a gameplay reveal this week, Thursday, February 27th at 3:30 p.m. Eastern at PAX East, and it was recently announced that it's coming to early access later this year. So all very, very exciting. I've talked about Larry and Studios before, and again, huge thanks to them, huge thanks to them for flying me to San Francisco. I love Divinity Original Sin, Divinity Original Sin 2, probably my favorite games of this past decade. I'm a big fan. So Baldur's Gate 3, I have the overview here because I've played Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance and Dark Alliance 2 on PlayStation 2 back in the day, and I've dabbled in OG Baldur's Gate 1 and Baldur's Gate 2, but I don't know the lore and all that super duper well, so I have an official overview here from the people who actually make the game, so they know what they're talking about. Alright, so Baldur's Gate 3 is an entirely next-generation RPG taking place in the Forgotten Realms setting from Dungeons & Dragons and 20 years in the making. Return to the legendary city of Baldur's Gates in a tale of fellowship and betrayal, sacrifice and survival, and the lure of absolute power. Dark powers are awakening inside you, drawn from a mind flare parasite planted in your mind. Resist and turn evil against itself, or embrace corruption and lay claim to the Forgotten Realms. So good. So Swin Vink, I don't know if I said your last name wrong. Sorry, buddy. He's the founder of Larian. He played the game in front of us for a couple hours. There were plans for us to actually play it ourselves, but some things happened. I don't know if I can talk about that, so I'm not even going to risk it. And we were not able to play it. But it was really, really fun to watch Spin play the game. He's fantastic. Extenuating circumstances. I like it. There we go. That's great. So my understanding of the overall plot of Baldur's Gate 3 is that we have this tadpole in our brain, Andrea. So there's a mind okay. flare. We were going about minding our own business, and a tadpole was inserted into our brain, and it went through our brain through our eyeball. Doesn't that sound great?
0: No, it sounds terrifying. <laughs> it was awful. I squealed. I think it sounds gross. Well, did they show
1: this to you? Yes. So it's, it's the, it was the CG. I think it was the opening CG. And Wait, wasn't that part of the reveal trailer too? This was not in the reveal trailer. So the reveal trailer that we've seen w- did show some body, g- gross body mutations. Um, that was the that was the human turning into a mind flare. So my understanding of this whole situation is that a mind flare in order to reprodu- reproduce, it has a tadpole, which is what it's called. Like a parasite. It crawls through your eye. It hangs out in your brain. And then after some time you turn into a mind flare, which is what that gross, like body shit was in that reveal trailer. It was very, right. um, very graphic. And I squealed. There was maybe like 15 to 20 of us in the room. And I definitely was the loudest. And I, I was, it was great. Um, so I have a fact sheet here and then this is again now this is like the the overall plot of Baldur's Gate 3. <clears throat> Out of nowhere, we were kidnapped by mind flares. A tadpole was put in our heads. We barely survived the crash landing of a nutloid, and we find ourselves stranded in the middle of an inhospitable wilderness. We discover we have only a few days to get rid of the parasite inside, or we'll become mind flares ourselves. As we desperately seek a cure, we discover the tadpole gives us godlike powers, and we find ourselves on the center stage of a complot hatched by none other than the Dead Three, the gods of murder, tyranny, and death. Our journey will not only take us back to the legend, legendary city of Baldur's Gate, but through and beyond the Forgotten Realms. It is a journey of survival, ours in all of the Forgotten Realms. So TLDR, we have this thing in our head, and we have to figure out how the hell do we get it out of here, right? Like, we do not want to turn into mind flayers. That's not good. But the problem is, instead of us having the symptoms of aching bones and of turning into a mind flayer, we are feeling great. Actually, we have godlike powers now. So why is this happening? But we're still all concerned enough that we want to find a healer to try to fix us. And if you're not sure what a mind flayer is, it is a race of psychic humanoids with tentacles on their faces who eat brains. What's up with me loving things that eat brains? I don't know. Uh, there's definitely a
0: pattern for sure. Do you when eat you brains? say mind
1: flayer, I just think of stranger, stranger things. things. Yeah. 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 I don't know what the exact difference is because I've never seen Stranger Things. Maybe it's like... Well, the Mind Flayer in Stranger Things, I thought, is based off like the like old-school D&D Mind Flayer. Okay, so that's what this is. So yeah, they're a race of psychic humanoids with tentacles on their faces who eat brains. They primarily use their powerful psychic abilities to mentally enslave other human beings. They're also known as illithids. So there you go. Very, very uh, handsome creatures. Definitely not something I would bang if these were in a Mass Effect game. Nope. No thanks. Pass. Hard pass. So if I had to describe how this game looks, I would say it looks like Divinity Original Sin 2. And they are using a new engine for this, Divinity 4.0. And so I I say that, I think it's evident that this game, that Larian does not really want you to see this game and think of it as Divinity Original Sin 3. Which if you're just looking at it, though, it definitely looks like that from just a purely surface level. So I want to use that example so those of you who are driving in your car or watching us on YouTube.com slash what's good games can kind of imagine like the base template of what I'm working with here. But the more you dig in, the more the d d influence becomes apparent. So for example, you have to roll for checks, like literally roll. I mean, you can't literally roll. It's like a mouse click, but so for example, if you are so in our in our game, we played as who who is a vampire spawn a vampire spawn. That's in the, there's a whole bunch of character creations, there's origin stories, all of those good details that you know Larian's so great at. But in this particular playthrough, we were a vampire spawn named Asterian. And he was at camp and he was trying to figure out how, how can I find a healer to help me get this thing out of my head? As I think we all would think. And there were several dialogue options. And in order to actually think about where you might find a healer, you had to roll. Maybe it was like an intuition check. I'm not sure. So he clicked that option. And then a die roll popped up. And then he clicked on it. And then he rolled, like, a two, and he needed, like, a ten. Like, he was having the worst luck with rolls that day, and it made for a very, very interesting playthrough, which I can later, uh, I'll later get into. Another example is while exploring, because there's, you know, the top-down view, it's kind of an open map, fog of war, you gotta try to figure out, it's all about exploration. I mean, it's very much Diablo, right? Yeah, you can think of Diablo as well, 100%. Um... It's a good base for understanding what this looks like. And there was another point where he walked up to a rock and he's like, This looks suspicious. And he rolled it in a check. Maybe it was intuition too. I don't know my checks very well. Sorry. Um, but he succeeded. And under the rock, he found a ruby. He found a journal that helped him in a further quest. So it's very different than, let's say, like Divinity Re- Original Sin 2, where you walk up to something and your character would say, I found something. And if you have a shovel in your inventory, you can easily dig it up. This, you actually have to roll and succeed for it. Which is interesting.
0: interesting. So you could hypothetically lose your check, and then you don't get to find out what's under the rock.
1: Exactly. Yeah, you got it. Mm. Mm-hmm. And this also works for conversation checks as well. There's a point where we stumbled across, it uh, looked like an abandoned ruin, and there were two characters that are very shady characters. And we tried to lie to them, and we he failed. He failed so many of his checks that day and they're like haha you suck and then we had to go into like a 15 minute fight with them whereas if we had succeeded they easily just would have scampered away and we never maybe would never have seen them again so it definitely plays a crucial part as to how the game plays and that's why i think every game will be unique depending on how you do with your roles there are also passive checks so if you are in like a group of 3 and you're watching a conversation unfold in front of you if you have a certain whatever it is you need you'll see a little icon in the bottom right that'll see like passive check completed and then that gives you a new dialogue choice so for example we were watching two people fight and the passive check that he got was this guy looks like he's about to erupt and then at that point you unlocked a new dialogue tree where you could antagonize the guy and really get him pissed off that sounds like something you would want to do not me that's something jason would want to do Trust mm. me, I want to keep everyone alive. Jason wants to kill everyone and piss them off. It was great. That sounds uh, right. Yep. Yeah. And so weapon the other thing, um, this is all about like D and D influence. The weapons no longer have a, a damage range. So, you know, so it's not like this will do between ten and fifteen damage. It's more of this will do one D6 plus one piercing. So that's a new thing, which is okay. cool. And let's see, and then the combat. So the combat is turn based and Baldur's Gate 3 is based off of the fifth edition rule set. With some modifications that can only be... Which, well, it's based off the 5th edition rule set as much as it can be. But obviously, taking tabletop to digital, you have to make some sort of tweaks. And so Larry has made some sort of tweaks. Unfortunately, 5th edition rule set, to me, doesn't really mean a heck of a lot. So I can't really like get too much in the nitty-gritty about what that means. But what I can tell you is that the combat is different from Divinity Original Sin in the sense that you don't have, let's say, like 8 action points per turn to use. You only have one and I believe, I believe, I know there's someone in the car right now that's saying, duh, you noob. If you do something right, you get another chance at a move. I think that's how it works. Maybe it has to do with the role you make. Maybe it has to do with the, I'm assuming it all comes under a roll at this point. So it's a little different in that sense. And leveling in this game is very slow going. So it's not like, again, like in Divinity, where you level, 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 you get new points every time. It's very slow. So it's very, it's very important that you're strategic with your moves. So it's not as like grindy, I guess is the way I would say it. There is a space bar function, space bar functionality, which will t- make your game turn into a turn based or your your action that you're going to do. And so you push pause; it's now turn based. And they called it turn based, but essentially it's it pauses the game, right? And now you can get more tactical with it. So tactical mode. Tac- thank you, tactical mode. So the way he <laughs> described it was that you get six seconds of an action and the world gets six seconds of a reaction so i think i saw this in play when there is a puzzle he was trying to complete he was trying to complete this puzzle and there's all these fireballs zooming across this like rectangle corridor and you have to try to get past all the fireballs right so what he would do is he would go into tactical mode and then he would let's say pick up a box and throw it in front of one of the fireballs and then he would run and stand on the box so he wouldn't get hit so that took up six seconds. He would then unpause the game, and now he has to watch the game like react to what he did. Unfortunately, he did not position his character correctly enough, so he caught on fire, and the entire corridor exploded into a fiery ball of death. And it was really fucking Whoops. funny. I was crying. I was laughing so hard. Poor Alana. Alana Pierce was sitting next to me, and I think she probably thinks I'm crazy, because I was just like hooping and hollering the whole time. It was great. There's a new <sighs> mode called Disengage. It's kind of like a get-the-fuck-out mode, where... If you need to just take like a literal leap away and get away from the combat, you can. And this is a new thing. And you can also use this outside of combat. So you don't – if it's – because verticality is very important in this game and that's something I'm going to get into a little bit where now you can actually build stairs with makeshift options. So you want to be able to hop around and you can use this to hop around. However, if you're hopping too far or maybe it's a check failure, you will fall and you will splatter into a pile of blood and you will be very injured. So you got to be so careful what ha- about that too. Yeah, what happens when you die? Can you die? You can absolutely die. Sweden did not die at all during our playthrough, but shocking yeah. that the the developer
0: doing a demo of their game behind closed doors conveniently never died. But you know
1: what's funny <laughs> is he almost did die several times and when they were showing this game off in Europe he did die during the first encounter. So he says. So he says it's mm-hmm. yeah, it does not it does not look like an easy game, but that's what I love about this Okay, so what else we got? So you can now dip your bow into fire and get fire arrows. So I guess you're technically dipping your arrow. So now if you don't have certain arrows on you, you can just like, oh, there's a, so let's say Andrea's walking around. She's a rogue. She's like, doo, 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 doo. oh, I... she's an archer. I got my bow. Oh, there's a, a flaming pit in front of me. I'm just going to take my arrow and put it in the fire pit. Oh, wow. Now I have fire arrows. Yeah. I mean, we've seen a lot of games do this, though. I mean, mm-hmm. it was in Breath of the Wild, right? Probably. That game did everything, I feel like. It was. It was. Let's see. There's uh, hundreds of D&D spells and actions. So if you're familiar with D&D, you should feel right at home
0: with those. So what if you're not familiar with D&D? What if you are like me and you've only played a handful of times and you have, you know, Lucigen holding your hand through all of the rules the whole way like when I'm like, wait, what does that mean? What is that? How do I? What is that? Mm, what? How do I live Am I going to be able to enjoy
1: Baldur's Gate or am I going to be eternally lost? <laughs> so I'm in the same position as you are that I don't know a heck of a lot about d and I've played Divinity Original Sin and granted that does have a lot of checks and stuff to do with it, but they're all kind of taken care of in the background. So I would say absolutely. I think this game, because Baldur's Gate hasn't been... I don't want to say relevant because I don't know what's going on outside of the video game world with that franchise for a while. You know, it's, no, it's been a hot minute. That's a
0: very fair statement. Baldur's Gate has not been relevant for a very long time.
1: <laughs> right. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So I I think this game is going to be made for people to hop in. Now, granted, it's a very specific type of game. So if you like, for example, going back to Divinity, you're not a fan of Divinity Original Sin. I don't know how you would be a fan of this. It's It more or less plays very similarly but with more D and D role sets.
0: But there's not as much turn based action because there's only one turn essentially,
1: right? It's one turn per character. So it's still very I mean, we saw him doing fights that were lasting fifteen to twenty minutes. So it's Oh, okay. That's mm-hmm. good to know. Yeah, and that's also in Divinity, right? So it's it's right. more of like you don't have the option to hoard your action points and then use like all ten at a time and you don't get more action points as you go on, or maybe you do. We didn't get that far into it. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, if, if you like Divinity, if you like Baldur's Gate, I think those two kind of go hand in hand. I think you will be okay. If you're not, if you've never played Divinity before, if you've never played Baldur's Gate before, I would say like what I tell to everyone else who I recommend that plays Divinity, just prepare for a learning curve. Like it's, there is absolutely a learning curve there, but just turn it down to baby ass baby mode. And once you get the hang of it, it's incredibly, incredibly satisfying. So there are multiple difficulties. I'm assuming they did not confirm that, but I cannot imagine a world where they launched this game with just one difficulty. So true.
0: I mean, if they're going to be bringing this game into the current, you know, action RPG market, then they would have to to stay competitive. Did they have any talk about it being a live service game or is this like more like Diablo or Divinity in the sense that like they're going to release it and then that's it and they may support it with like a DLC expansion at some point but this is not going to be an ongoing game?
1: They did not talk about that but I think it's definitely the latter. I, I do not think this is going to be a live service game at all. Which okay. is totally fine. Um, just a few other quick things about the game I want to mention now that I've gone through all the nitty gritty for you D&D nerds. Um, the encounters aren't narrated like they were in Divinity. So every every conversation and every encounter you have with someone is choreographed, and it's incredibly beautiful. It looks very well done. It's fantastic for immersion, whereas in the past, you know, it was more of a narrator saying, well, you looked at him, and they looked at you, and they had this look on their face, and meanwhile, like, the NPCs look like they're the exact same pose the whole time. So the game looks gorgeous. It you can tell a lot of care has gone into it. What we did see was still, it's still early. This game is definitely not coming out anytime soon. We are getting early access later this year, but yeah, like don't hold your breath for this coming out anytime soon, which makes me kind of sad. Conversations are in first person, which is in there in past tense, which is kind of interesting. So it makes me, it leads me to believe that we're being told the story it's like let me tell you about my life, and it cuts to the game because everything you say is like I looked at her neck like I was very hungry because we were a vampire, so you know we wanted mm-hmm. to feast on Bite. our companions. And you could you could do that. It was actually very interesting. Um, okay, that's weird. Yeah, it's great. For sure. No, and I mean like I say that too because this game definitely has that Larian touch to it, or it has that silly dry sense of humor. Whereas if if you look for it, you're gonna find it, and I think really appreciate it. And of course, this game has four-player online multiplayer and split-screen couch co-op. You can build relationships with your companions. You can speak to the dead if you want to, which is actually another interesting tidbit. So the voice actors had to record their lines living and dead. And when they when a character is dead and you talk to them while they're dead, they have this incredibly like raspy, suffocating voice that is honestly a little uncomfortable to listen to because it makes me feel like I'm having an asthma attack or something. Uh, it's interesting. It's interesting, but it's just like the level of polish and detail that larian's putting into this is i mean it's not surprising they're one of my favorite studios they care so much about the work that they do that i i asked them i said so this game's probably not coming out anytime soon probably not this year and they kind of gave me that sheepish look like what the fuck what do you think of course it's not because if it was i think i could say that this would definitely be my most anticipated of this year because it just looks so good and i love these games i love larian that uh it just looks so damn good. My concern, though, is that it does look so much like Divinity. And, I mean, that's just the honest feedback that I have. To me, that's not a bad thing. I would describe this game as, it's like a better-looking Divinity Original Sin 2, you know, with enhanced mechanics. It's more beautiful. Um, it has choreographed scenes. And has D&D flair to it. To me, that's not a bad thing. I just don't know how tried-and-true Baldur's Gate fans will feel about it. I don't know if they're going to feel like it doesn't look like enough of an original spin. That makes sense. I don't think that
0: they need to make a super original spin on it. I, I agree. think that people want to keep it the formula pretty simple. I think when you start to go in these crazy creative directions with a really long-standing franchise like Baldur's Gate, especially when it's built on the backs of D&D, which is even a longer-standing franchise, That you have to be very cautious about taking creative liberties with the genre. So I think, you know, I think that Larian's doing the right thing by kind of keeping to the formula but just polishing on it and innovating a little bit, right? They're adding their own touch and as you had mentioned, it feels a lot more like divinity than potentially like previous Baldur's Gate games but I don't think that's a bad thing because they again are all in this same kind of vein right they're all Diablo-esque right right? yeah and so I think because of that they're always going to be compared against each other but they need to keep it relevant there's a reason why Baldur's Gate hasn't come back yeah until now There's this resurgence, I think, in role-playing games and tabletop and even D&D, and I love that they're working directly with Wizards of the Coast on this. I think that's super important for the authenticity of the game, Mm -hmm. particularly with their D&D crowd. And I know that they're doing something at PAX. And while the podcast is going to be up while we're in Boston, uh, we won't be able to get that information into the show now. But hopefully we'll be able to, you know, kind of report back next week and, and see. Unless they gave you all of the information of the preview event that they're going to do at the panel.
1: I'm not sure about that. So okay. I can't say. But no, it looks it looks so fucking good. I'm so happy I went. And I just can't wait for this game. I can't wait, Andrea. No, I'm into it. Like, it's it's crazy because I'm
0: super big into fantasy. Obviously, I've talked about it on the show many times how much I love fantasy lit. But D&D was just always kind of a blank spot for me because I never had somebody that played with me when I was growing up. Like, I remember dabbling with my sister oh so briefly – and then I was like, you know, this seems really complicated. And I was interested, but then she didn't want to keep playing. And then I couldn't find anybody else to keep playing. So I just was like, well, whatever. There's plenty of other stuff that I can play. And I didn't think twice about it when I was young. And now as an adult, I have so many friends that play. I've had such a good time playing at PAX, you know, with with Craig and, and the whole crew that I am interested in learning more and playing more. But I feel like I'm so far behind the getting caught right. up is daunting, and I know that with D&D Online that there's a lot more options now to get caught up and to learn, and it's way more beginner-friendly than it ever has been. But at the same time, I'm like, there's only so many hours in a day.
1: Girl, I know. I feel you. That's why I'm so appreciative. <laughs> Every time we play D&D with our good old friends, I'm like, how do I do this? And they're so patient with us. I just can't remember. My brain's yeah, already have- overloaded. We have to think of a name for our,
0: our D&D campaign Mm, mm, mm -hmm, mm because chapter four is happening at pax east in just a couple of days and we're excited and i think that we need to come up with something i'll think of it i'll brainstorm something with with craig and tyler we'll we'll think of something yeah um but cool i'm glad that you had a great time no surprise When you said that you were going to go see Larry, and I was like, well, Abby, they're like your besties. (laughs) Um, But I'm glad that you went, because I think a lot of it probably would have been lost on me. I probably would have been sitting next to Alana being like, do you know what this is?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. And again, just to reiterate, I think if this is all new to you, they make it so easy to play in the sense that if you have a check to do, it just pops up the right dice you need to do the check. And it tells you what you need to hit, so you know exactly what you're aiming for when you click it. So... Could be a good baby's first introduction to D and D because they do a lot of it for you, which is nice. Oh, it looks so good! I want
0: it. I want it. Right okay, now. so you're not going to be able to play that for quite some time, but a game that you are going to be able to play in the not too distant future is Resident oh. Evil
1: 3 Remake. Oh, you're going to let me talk about this now. I didn't know if you want to talk about your stuff first.
0: Oh, I'll talk about Archero at the end, at the end of the segment. But I think, look, like, the people want to hear about this. So you put up a video at youtube.com slash what's good games where you answered some questions from our community, from our patrons about things that they wanted to know from your time playing the game so if you guys want to watch that video please give us a subscription over at youtube.com slash what's good games we would really appreciate some of your time hit the bells you get the notifications whenever new videos go live It's part of our strategy for 2020 to hopefully upload a lot more video content in the months ahead so just future proof your youtube watching by subscribing now if you are not already so britt You're doing your dance because you're so excited. If there was a game that you could potentially be more excited about going to see than going to visit Larian and talking about Baldur's Gate, it is Resident Evil 3 Remake. All right. So lay it on me. How fucking terrifying is Nemesis? Because I saw some clips and I was like, oh, God, no.
1: Like, I could handle Mr. X. I don't think I can handle Nemesis. Oh, dude, no. Nemesis is one terrifying motherfucker. No, last week, I lived my very best life. I got to see two of, like, my top favorite franchises in one week, and I just... Oh, it killed me that I couldn't talk about it. But, yeah, so I got to go to San Francisco uh, last week, so thank you, Capcom, for flying me out to your little office space where I got to play Resident Evil 3 Remake and Resident Evil Resistance, which I'm also very excited to talk about. So... As a reminder, Resident Evil, obviously a Capcom game. This is released in April 3rd, 2020. And this is a reimagining of the 1999 game, Resident Evil 3 Nemesis, which is just wild to me that that game is so old. And this game does take before Resident Evil 2 and after Resident Evil 2. So if you played Resident Evil 2, you have a, a horse in this race, I guess. I don't know if that really worked in there, but I said it anyway. So obviously, for for specific reasons I can't go into too much detail about some of the new things that I saw and that includes you know like puzzle solutions or new enemies I may or may not have seen and new whatever because like I can't but yeah, I will no, be no spoilers. Specific you as specific don't want to spoil it for people yeah right right I'll but I will be as specific as I can so in this demo, I started off as Jill Valentine, and I had just recently ran into Carlos, and my job is to get the subway back online, because we want to get the hell out of Raccoon City, one Andrea Renee, because there are zombies. I don't know if you this. Obviously.
0: You keep saying that you would love to someday visit a real Raccoon City, and I'm oh, like, you
1: crazy. No, because I'm not stupid. It's like, you go in one way, you come out the same way. It's not that hard. You have a fucking motorcycle. You drive in, you turn around, you come out. Claire Redfield, I'm looking at you, you dummy. It's fine. I'm over it. I've always wondered about that. Like, why don't you just turn around and, like, back your car? I know you're looking for your brother, but, like, not here. This is not the place to do it. I What Brittany did not
0: acknowledge is that when you said you go in one way and come out the same way, I was doing that. Oh, you were dancing. Said, I was
1: wondering what you were it. doing. I'm holding the pillow. Oh. The see, pillow. See, I, see I'm it. looking at you from a different camera. So it looks like you're just kind of waving your arm around because it's not lining <laughs> yes. up. Yes.
0: Correct. The, the camera you see me from is from a wide a wider angle, so you probably can't see that that's what so she said, pillows, directly over my no, you're shoulder. No,
1: you're just covering it for me. It makes me sad that I can't see it. So I'm anyway. sorry. It's okay. I love you. All right. So in order to turn this subway station back online, I had to visit a wide variety of new areas and do some new puzzles. So some of the, some of the places I can talk about that aren't super spoilers, so don't worry. There's a donut shop, a new donut shop, mm. which is I mean, I thought about when Christine was. she was here to be happy. She loves donuts. I know. I don't know if she'd be happy, though, about a donut shop in Resident Evil. No, oh, she would definitely oh, nah, not. Nah, she definitely well, you would not We could be. barely get her to play Ari, too. She's definitely not playing this. That's Oh, no. There's no way. Uh, there's a toy shop, which is also a new thing, which I did not get the chance to check out because by the time I had what I needed to look at the toy shop, I had one Mr. Nemesis chasing after me. But I do believe there was some extra lore and whatnot inside of there. There was an electrical substation. And in this electrical substation, I had to navigate a maze to activate transformers. And inside... Of this maze, there were Drain Demos. Demos, I think is what they're called. And these are in Resident Evil 3, Nemesis from 1999. Demos? Demos. How would you describe what this is? Think of like a big, green, hairy flea. That, okay. That shoves you big, you mean like human size? Like dog size. Big dog size. Dog size. size. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they shove tentacles down your throat. And in turn, they inject like a parasite inside of you. And the only way Ugh. to get rid of the parasite is to eat a green herb. And then once okay. you eat the green herb, Jill throws up everywhere. What? This <laughs> I'm is not terrible. fucking kidding you.
0: <laughs> okay, so the green herbs are the thing that heal you. Right. And this, In this case, is the thing that technically heals you because it forces you to vomit this Deimos out of your body.
1: Yeah, pretty much it was okay. uh, it was a demo some parasite or something so that was that was a that was a new thing that was interesting and then at the subway control station itself there's a new puzzle that you have to in which you have to establish a route to get out of raccoon city and this is interesting because in the original game all you needed to do was find a couple of wires and a gallon of mixed oil and that was how you got out of raccoon city but in this case they've completely reimagined the puzzle so none of that original stuff is still in there. So that's just like a little example of how things are going to be different in this game. And then there is another puzzle that I will not talk about that takes place in the sewers. And in the sewers, there's this thing called the Hunter Gamma. Now, I also have put footage of this thing in my video. Think Ooh. of like a green trans, uh, not green, a white like translucent fish with legs and it opens its mouth and its mouth turns into like four different like Chunks of flesh, and then inside is this thing that will eat you. It's so fucking cool. It's so great, Andrea. It's so great. I'm so I excited have, for you to play this game. I have questions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting is that there are some new documents in the game, and I won't talk about the specifics that do give some insight into all these creatures. And it's, uh, oh, it, it's good. I Oh, God, I had such a good time. So I say these things because. This game is being described as a reimagining of Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. And Resident Evil 2 is also considered a reimagining. And I think both games are obviously a little bit of column A, column B. But Resident Evil 2 felt much more like a remake there than a reimagining. And I think it got away with that because that game still stands on its legs. The foundation is still incredibly solid. There's a reason many consider that one to be the best in the series, still a masterpiece, etc. Where Resident Evil 3 doesn't hold up quite as well and it didn't do as many things as well as Resident Evil 2 did. Jill is a in those old games, a very boring character. She has like a great iconic one liner at the end of R E three, but that's kind of it. She just is kind of the person who's like, oh no, or like where are you going? And that's kind of like most of what you'll get. She shows some emotion from time to time. What was she like? You want me to repeat myself, Andrea Renee? No, it's fine. I mean, (laughs) I can if you want. Anything for you, baby girl. So, anywho. Yeah, she's kind of boring. But in this game, you know, they definitely gave her more of, like, an amazing personality. And I think what's happening is they're taking Resident Evil 3 and they are finally giving it that, that mwah of detail it deserves, of of the storytelling that it needs. And I get this game is from the 90s. It's first and foremost a survival horror game. So, back in those days, maybe it wasn't as necessary. I don't know. But this definitely feels like a 100% more of a reimagining i we're going to have the plot points we're going to have carlos we're going to have nemesis but it's going to feel like a new game. There was only a few times while I was playing when I was playing this that I felt like this feels incredibly familiar. And that's not a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I mean, you know, think about the game from 99. It was more of a top-down the tank controls. You had those static screens that you'd walk through, and now you're seeing the city through a whole new perspective. And we've never really seen the city like this before. So I think it's a good thing that it doesn't feel familiar. Because I think back then, you know, the city consisted of a few stagnant screens and some alleyways, but now it's like, oh my God, it's like it's actually a city. with well, stores you you can go in that you don't need to but it just builds upon the story it's the story itself so Really cool, really exciting, much more action-oriented, where I feel like Resident Evil 2 was more of the, ooh, dark corridor, creepy ambient sounds. You know, when is something going to pop out at me? This is much more, there is so much action going around me. There are red barrels around for me to shoot. There are generators for me to shoot that's going to electrocute everything around me. There's generally three to four zombies around you at a time. There's a dodge button, where you can successfully perform a dodge roll, and it gives you this awesome kind of camera flip where you get a great... Shot at taking a, f- a headshot at the zombie that you dodged, or if you want to try to go after Nemesis, which I would not recommend, you can do that too. So it's definitely more of the action, action survival horror. The survival horror is still there, obviously. It's Resident Evil, of course, it's there. But um, if it's more, if more of the atmospheric stuff from RE2 freaked you out, I would say this game doesn't have as much of that, just from what I've seen so far.
0: Okay, that makes me feel better about it because I prefer a more action focused title because the atmospheric stuff I think messes with me a little bit too much which is why I think I really enjoyed my time with The Evil Within 2 because it felt like though it was like spooky and scary and creepy in some parts it still felt like at the core of it it was still more of an action focused game and what I would post to you then is do you think that it's too much of a departure for hardcore fans of the original that they're not going to be able to enjoy it or do you think that this was potentially the moment that Capcom decided, hey, we are going to remake this and we're going to lean in a little bit more into the action focus of the Resident Evil franchise overall, knowing that the game is going to be better for it than not.
1: So RE2 has always been that slow burn that you know, you've know you experienced because you played the remake. RE3 has always been more action-focused. So it makes sense that this remake is also more action-focused. And I think when it comes to living up to Resident Evil 2 and if whether or not fans are going to be happy and satisfied, I think there's a higher... It's it's tricky. It's going to be interesting because I think everyone's bar is different. I think for RE2, everyone was more or less along the lines of, this is a very, very precious baby, and you better do this baby lots and lots of justice. And <laughs> yeah. they did. They, they nurtured that baby into a beautiful thing. Whereas with RE3... Again, speaking for myself, and I think the majority of people, Well, it's still a very fun game, I just played it recently, again, a couple of weeks ago, so it's still fresh in my head, It, it's not as memorable, it's not as, you know, significant, and the, maybe that has to do with the reused areas, because, I mean, like, Raccoon City wasn't that exciting, maybe it has to do with the fact that Jill is just kind of boring, but I think the nostalgia factor, the bar to hit that isn't too high. Like I said, give us Carlos, give us Jill give us their banter, give us Nemesis, give us plot points, and then go from there, and I think we'll be happy. I think what Capcom needs to nail is just the quality that we've seen with Resident Evil 2, and I, from what I've seen, it definitely feels like it's there. I didn't see anything that was worrisome or concerning. So how do you feel
0: about Capcom's decision to take the live event choices out of the game to more... Um, narrowly define what the narrative is going to be because that was something that I saw that some people were upset about some people Mm -hmm. like man I don't care but it's one of the bigger differences between the remake and the original that they've you know really taken this live option narrative choice out to say hey instead we want to focus where the story is going
1: yeah I think I think the choice, making the choices helps a lot with replayability. And this is a concern in the sense that you think of Resident Evil 2 Remake, you have like Leon A, Claire A, or I think it's called like Scenario A or B or one or two, whatever it's called in the remake. There's essentially four different ways you could play this game. And in this, it just seems like it's just gonna be one, like one story, one canon story. So that's, I mean, the the concern with the replayability is like, oh, dang, I want more Resident Evil to play. So, of course, me being like the selfish fan, I want that. But me like the more, well, I guess this makes sense. What I tell myself is that we're always going to have Resident Evil 3. We're always going to have those that game where we have to make those choices. And I think it's not surprising that Capcom wants to create a canon narrative for Resident Evil 3 from here. Um, I think that's totally fine it doesn't bother me personally because like I said I can always go back to Resident Evil 3 and like the choices I mean you know it, they were some of them were kind of significant you, some people died some people lived you got to see some people die but in the end everything gets fucked anyway so it's like well how much how much impact did that really have so I personally don't care I think it's fine I think it's, it's an exciting, exciting new way to experience the narrative as Capcom intends you to if that makes sense
0: yeah, no, it does. No, and listen, I wanted to hear from you because mm-hmm. you're, you know, obviously a super fan, but I, d- I know that you don't speak for everybody. I mean, <laughs> of what course. are you talking
1: about? I am Brittany, queen of all things Resident Evil. Hello. <laughs> well, pardon me. I'm, I'm like sorry. Alexa, the queen of kingdom of the hearts. It's Some- true. Somewhere she's she black flipping she off the, the earth. queen of the
0: of the of the of the kingdom hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, OK, cool. Well, so you walked away from that amped and ready for April.
1: Oh, dude, you have no idea. I do want to talk a little bit about Nemesis, though.
0: Yes, no, please. I mean, listen, every piece of video clip that I saw this week featured him, like, darting out and scaring the bejesus out of people, so let's talk about the big
1: bad. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Nemesis is essentially a tyrant, aka Mr. X, inserted with a parasite that gives him, he's self-aware, he has human-like Thoughts. He thinks like a human does. He can now wield weapons. So obviously he's very, very terrifying, which makes it so he hard.
0: just for people who didn't play RE2 remake or RE2 mm-hmm. or RE3 at all, um, essentially, if I was going to explain what Nemesis as a, an enemy is, he's like a super tall, very broad, thick guy in a long coat. And he's like very like just beefy looking from a distance he's very menacing and he's like missing his face it's like it's like burned or melted or like (laughs) someone threw acid on him and like he's all disfigured and like when you look at his mouth up close he's like all gums and teeth and it's very terrifying and essentially he's he's like a twisted, tortured monster. He's like, imagine like a big, scary enemy like Jason in yeah. Friday the 13th, who's like supernaturally large in a way that you can't quite put your finger on. You're like, You're, a regular human shouldn't be that big. No, because um, he's um, not. And that's, yeah, because yeah, he's not, right? Yeah,
1: Yeah. so I think the lore goes like this. I'm getting the weeds for a real sec, for a quick sec. So the tyrant is essentially a human who has a... Specific DNA makeup that makes them respond differently to the T virus than most people. Most people turn into zombies, right? But some people turn into tyrants. And so this is a tyrant who, which causes them to mutate into like this big beefy, rirt guy. But the problem is that they lose their ability to think logically unless they're a specific type and they have the parasite. So this parasite is what gives him the ability to like be very, very smart. Now, granted, Mr. X is pretty smart too. So I'm not entirely sure what his deal is. But anyway, yeah. Big boy, very very mutated boy. It looks like he's wearing like Andrea said a coat. It almost looks like he was wrapped in some sort of protective film, like a black garbage bag. And all around him are these little caution stickers. So I think what maybe what we'll see in the game is him breaking out of where he was being held, of like maybe a lab, maybe somewhere in Umbrella, and maybe he got out early. I don't know, but the caution is interesting because I feel like you wouldn't release your nemesis out in the world with caution tape all over him. But no, it's
0: he clearly like. There was a jailbreak, right? Yeah. <laughs> <A> jailbreak. <laughs> or may- or maybe they thought it was dead. They're like, Oh, oh this yeah. one just didn't work out. The virus like, you know, didn't mutate the same way we thought it was going to. Like, oh, send it send it to the trash pile and then <laughs> and then there's Nemesis
1: being like, oh, I'm not trash and he like breaks that and he's got like <laughs> The, i like know, this origin story <laughs> of nemesis i think we need to make this canon capcom are you listening probably to make sure i don't break any ndas but yes yeah, so mr nemesis so my encounter with nemesis is after i completed a certain task i was running back to go to my next objective and out of nowhere mr nemesis fucking pops out of a, a brick wall he's like what's up stars and i was like ah oh, shit so the, <laughs> that's, that's essentially how it goes i squealed very loudly in the room and then I feel like I know better than to even try to take this motherfucker down. So I just start running. But the problem was, in my panic, I got lost in Raccoon City. And you can get lost in the city because it's much bigger now. There's all these little side streets you can take. So I'm running around like a chick with my head cut off. He's catching up to me. He whips me with his tentacle. He steps on my face. And then he killed me. And I feel like, I said this in my video, I feel like it's a rite of passage to be stepped on by Nemesis. That sounds... (laughs) very awkward and kind of dirty but i'm here for it so but what does that mean though why is it a why does a, a rite of passage i don't know just if you say you got taken down by the nemesis it's kind of cool i mean maybe that's just me you know like, i guess i just assume that if you're playing resident evil 3 you're going to die at least once i would think so i only died once during my demo andrea you'd be happy you'd be proud what of difficulty me. were you on just the mm-hmm. normal dif- normal difficulty good well, I mean,
0: obviously you're
1: a RE pro level player. Of duh. course. Actually, I'm just smart and I just find all the ammo and gunpowder I can. Fuck that.
0: That's so, why you're a pro. Because you're yes. smart, cause you know what to do. If yeah. I had been playing, I would have been like, There's gunpowder? Where do I get the gunpowder from? Oh, I'm dead for the seventh time.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was uh people were trying to take Nemesis down and it was funny to hear them like try to wonder why they can't take down this big boy and I'm like oh you fools and you're like you
0: can't kill him, can't kill him.
1: so He's what's interesting kill him. though is after I died and thankfully I had just saved it very close to my death I started playing again and I was anticipating him to jump out of the same place but oh no oh no he didn't jump out to like 30 to 40 seconds later in a completely different location and that was um, a very terrifying thing so I don't like this I don't like this at all we have that to look forward to which is going to be great it's going to be great. He's very fast. He, You know how Mr. X more or less just kind of stomped after you? This guy definitely yes. like jumps in front of you. He can like run real quick. He's not slow. And Wait, so I- do you still hear the
0: footsteps? Because to me, that was like the most terrifying part. Oh, yeah, girl. Not even like I felt more calm when I could see Mr. X. And I was like, okay, I see you over there. I'm freaking out a little bit. But at least I can see you so I can like make my move. But when he's just freaking chasing you and you can't see him and you just hear his footstep
1: That oh, is the terrifying part makes you pucker pucker the butt it's very yes. scary yeah and then i ran into a room and i thought i would be safe in this room because he's so big i'm like he can't fit through this doorway oh no he ducked he ducked under the door and like put his hand up to brace himself and just started coming after me again and then i was like oh no there is no escape now granted there are certain points where you do get to an area that he won't come after you it's Kind of scripted like that, I think, like Mr. X was, from what I can tell. Well, there has to be a safe room somewhere. Yeah, there are safe rooms. And I thought the room I was going into was a safe room because there's a typewriter. But uh, clearly, it was not an actual safe room because he just barged right on in like he owned the place. So that was fun. Um, Let's see. Final, final. You can also, you can slow him down. So I found grenades work really good. If you have a grenade, you want to slow him down temporarily. There you go. Hold on to those things. Blow him up. See, so I already talked about how it feels more like an imagine like an imagining, reimagining. Uh talked about Jill how she's actually interesting this time around. So she actually feels like she's an actual character. She doesn't just feel like that oh no or what are you doing character that we're all used to from the 90s, all the pretty lady characters. You know what I mean? She does damsel. But uh you no, know, she she's smart, she's quick, she's thoughtful, she doesn't take any bullshit. And her and Carlos still have that kind of flirtatious banter back and forth, which I'm really excited about. In the original game, he was kind of like, I mean, he was real stupid. He's like, "Oh, the ladies love my accent and just stuff like that. It, it was like, OK, that's really dumb and cheesy. But this time sure. around, it's, I mean, he's probably not wrong, but sure. No, Exactly. He's probably <laughs> not. I mean, he was a hot polygon character, man. Like the mm, that hair got me every time. But yeah, the, the, the banner between the two of them now is very fun and very... It made me laugh and smile, and I'm glad it's in there. And I'm hoping they, like, bang in this game, which I'm sure they won't. Ooh, okay. Or at least kiss. I want something to happen. Something between those two. The sexual tension is real. It's like the end of the world. May as well, like, get it on, but what do I know? And just a few other quick notes is that the map is back, the great map, that it shows you where all the doors are and what you need to get past them. And they're color-coded, so if a, if a room is, like, a certain color, you know that you haven't found all the items in that room, which is... Amazing, and I really, really appreciate that. So, thank you again for bringing that back. And then finally, the knife has infinite durability, which is a new thing because in RE2 Remake, it had a limited durability and it would eventually break. But this time, you can just slash all those boxes and stab all the zombies all you want, and you're good. That's my favorite strategy. See a zombie on the ground, stab it a few times. If it moves, you back up. If not, it'll probably pop up later in the game. You just stab it a few times? Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Just see. Just, just see. stab it a few times. Just, oh, oh, that's what she said. I get it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so walked away feeling... I'm a child. What can I say? No, it's okay. I appreciate you. Uh, walked away feeling very excited. I think this is going to be another fantastic game, just from what I've seen, and very, uh, very stoked.
0: Do you think that this game is going to capture the zeitgeist that 2 had?
1: I, I hope so. I, I really... I hope so, and it's... I can't imagine... So I guess you're a good example of this, right? So you've played Resident Evil 2, never really a Resident Evil fan before that. Are you interested in Resident Evil 3?
0: Yes and no. I'm interested from the sense that I really enjoyed what Capcom did with the remake of 2, but knowing that this is going to be much more intense from a thriller and action perspective, I'm a little bit more hesitant because I'm a scaredy cat. And there's a reason... I'd never really played the Resident Evil games because like I didn't want to play them and I have, you know, a finite amount of time to play video games and I didn't want to spend that time not fully enjoying myself, kind of <laughs> feeling like I was forcing the terror upon myself. And I know that some people really love that. And I don't know what it is that I really enjoy watching horror films, but something about having to be an interactive part of a horror video game or even a thriller video game is just a bridge too far for me in a lot of cases. And I'm excited to try it from the sense that I was impressed by the work that Capcom did, but I'm more hesitant. And I think that there's probably a lot of people like me that are probably also like not really paying attention. And quite frankly, it's in a way more crowded window than it was when RE2 came out cuz RE2 came out at the end of January. Now, I think we could argue the like did it help or hurt them in the long run, but clearly didn't hurt them that much. They no. sold a bunch of copies of that game and it got tons of accolades from from everybody. But I'm concerned that this game is coming out like a week or two right after Doom Eternal, right after Animal Crossing New Horizon, right before Final Fantasy 7. Final Fantasy 7 right before cyberpunk 2077 even though that got delayed and even though the last of us part two got delayed they're not that far off of their you know where they were and people are probably thinking hey i have this budget to buy video games what games am i going to buy and i don't know in a year like this year like 2020 with new consoles coming out and a shit ton of amazing games is re3 going to have the same impact i don't I don't think it will. And that kind of bums me out because it looks super cool.
1: It's it's hard to say. I mean, I think you and I are in different bubbles, right? I yes, think you're 100%. looking at it from a broader perspective of all these games. Obviously, you do have Doom and Animal Crossing two weeks before this. And the week after Resident Evil, you have Final Fantasy VII, like we said. I think the splash this game is making is very large, just because again, I'm in like that Resident Evil bubble where everyone's talking about it. But I think where we all get surprised are the people who don't talk about it online. Right? Like how many people are actually gonna show up for this?
0: Well, this is why I
1: think it's
0: a critical error for them to not have this game playable in more places. Right? Like I think like I feel like I played or had the opportunity to play the RE2 demo or the R2 build multiple times during its marketing and preview lifecycle before launch than I have for RE3. I feel like you. There's up until now, there's only been one opportunity, right? This is it? This to is, have played the game? This is
1: it as far as I know. Yeah, because Resident Evil 2 was announced at E3, and I got to play it at E3, but I don't think it was actually playable for just anyone there. I might be wrong, but I don't think it was. And then I'm pretty sure it was at PAX West. And then maybe Tokyo game show. And that was it. it? That's where I played a second demo. So the first demo I played was
0: the Claire demo. Mm -hmm. The second demo I played at TGS was the Leon demo. Mm. So, or maybe it was reversed. No, I think that's right. But I got to play a little bit of each one. No, I think I played the Leon demo first and then I played the Claire demo. Yeah. Um, But I got to play both. And they did have it at TGS and I felt like there was ample time to see it and kind of look at it and it doesn't feel like it's, it's been there, but, um, I'm trying been. to think of where this game has been or where people have played it so far. This and is I, it.
1: I can't, yeah, I mean, it was just announced what, a couple of months ago and there hasn't really been anything since then. So I'm just sure, you know, this is the first hands on that I've seen. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's, it's weird timing. But my hope is that because people did like Resident Evil 2 so much that they are interested in Resident Evil. And then the last thing I would say is I was freaked out by Resident Evil 2. And I'm someone who's very, like, numb to the series. But it was the (laughs) atmospheric stuff that really got me. But this game, I never quite – besides, like, the few jump scares, I never felt completely freaked out. And maybe that's because I was in a room with a whole bunch of people. But I think it's because everything is kind of within. You can see what's going on around you. That's the action. It wasn't so much creeping down the hallway and like hearing noises. It was much more, okay, so there's a zombie over there. There's a lot of fire going on over here. There's things clanging behind you. And so I guess it depends on like what kind of horror you can deal with better than other, other horror.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. And before I talk about Resident Evil Resistance, I would love to hear about this other thing that you're talking about that you're playing. This mobile game. Oh, no, no, no. We're on you a sure? Resident Evil train right now. Are you we're sure? We're not going
0: to break to talk about a completely different game and then go back to Resident Evil. Okay. But right. I do love that you're like, I've been talking for a long time about video games.
1: I have. But, but listen, you're not, I did my, my fair voice. share of that
0: on this show, girl. This is your time to shine. <laughs> Tell okay. me about Resident Evil Resistance. So originally, Resistance was not part of RE3. And right. now Capcom is saying, well, we're doing this remake... So we're going to take this mode that was a standalone game, right?
1: Yeah, essentially. And then they're baking it into
0: the remake, right?
1: Yeah, so the the thumbnails for Resistance leaked online. Everyone thought maybe it was a new... um, Oh, was it Mercenaries or Resident Evil? What's that online mode? I can't remember. Sorry, friends. Anywho, but it turned out to be Resident Evil Resistance. And then during the RE3 reveal, everyone's like, yo, dog, this is actually the free-to... Not free-to-play. It's the multiplayer version... That goes along with Resident Evil 3. So yes, it is Capcom's take on an asymmetrical multiplayer survival horror experience set in Raccoon City. This is not anything canon because it just doesn't make sense because a lot of the masterminds in this game are long dead. But I'll get into that in a second. So it plays it is 1v4. You have four survivors and one mastermind. And the idea is, is that the survivors are these youths that have been captured by Umbrella to perform experiments on, because that's what Umbrella does. Oh, yeah. If you went to the orphanage in, well, I guess you had to if you played Resident Evil 2, they were doing some really shady stuff there. Really shady stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. No, yeah. I remember the orphanage. That was terrifying. Very, very bad. Very scary. Umbrella's an awful, terrible company, and they suck. And so the, mastermind, the Mastermind's reason also for capturing these youths is to run experiments so they can gather research data on how these how these characters respond to fear because that way because the whole idea is that you know umbrella wants to make bioweapons for military purposes and blah 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 the government's in on it is a whole fucked up thing so like this actually makes sense even though what they're doing is not canon so the mastermind observes the survivors through security cameras and then as the mastermind you can place enemies and obstacles in the survivor's way so How this works. You have four survivors, and to win, you have to complete three maps. In in every map, you have three objectives. So the first part of the map, you have to find three things. Those could be puzzle pieces. Those could be uh, trophies. They could be statue pieces. And once you find all three things, you can then proceed to the next level. The second one, you have to activate three things, which means you have to find the zombie security guard within the map. Get his security key card, then activate three terminals, and then the final part of each the final part of each gameplay session, if you make it this far, is you have to shoot three things. and what I mean by that is there may be six to seven pillars on this map, and only one of them is active at a time, and you got to cover the map to figure out which one is active that you can shoot. So now that I've laid that down, you have a map that has maybe like there's there's def- several different maps, and there's some I can't talk about. so to play it safe, I won't talk about any of them in specifics. Um, it has maybe like four to five different rooms and you start at an entrance point and then you and the four survivors, you know, you gotta, You have to stick together or it's not going to be a good time. You have to explore every room and try to find these pieces. I mean, you can split off from one another, but it's just best not to. And you win by escaping, by finding what you need and proceeding. You lose by running out of time. So this game is all based off of time. So if you let's say get if you get hit by a zombie or bit by a zombie or blown up by a mine, you lose a certain amount of time off the top of the clock. If a character dies, you can revive them, but if they don't, if you they can't get revived and they die, then you lose even more time, and then they respawn. So it's basically you against the clock, and you can't suck by losing time. If you do that, <laughs> that's it, man. It's kind of like <laughs> Pro Life, Brittany.
0: Uh, don't suck. Okay, everybody.
1: (laughs) I feel like that's just like real talk advice I can give everyone. Don't suck. Well, in a multiplayer
0: game, yeah. I mean, I think the idea is do your best and don't drag your team down, right? I I mean, mean, unless you're – even if you're playing solo, right, you still don't want to suck because then you
1: lose. (laughs) That's very true. And that's a very bad thing. So that's that's the whole point of the survivors. Now, the mastermind – So let me go back. So the survivors have all their own different skills. And so some people specialize in damage reduction. Some can heal. Some can hack the masterminds items that they have. And right now there are – I'm pulling up the Resident Evil website because they have all of the info for me, like the nice people they are. So right now there are one, two, three, four, five, six different characters, including one Martin sandwich, which is amazing. And each character, like I said, have their own special abilities and their own – Uh, perks. So for example, I was playing the tank because of course that's what I do and that is Tyrone. And I feel, I think it was him, he has the special ability where if I were to hit the um, buttons he buffs everyone's defense for like 30 seconds. So this is really important if you're feeling overwhelmed and you have everything coming after you you use that and then everyone has a better chance of survival. Valerie can hack and she can heal, which is really nice. So if there's a camera with a turret attached to it, she can hack it and disable it which is awesome. So you got the mastermind now. These are famous or famous iconic Resident Evil villains like Annette Birkin, Alex Wesker, Oswald Spencer, and the mastermind has a much different view than the survivors. So so the survivors is third person like you're in a level. The mastermind is more of a top down map layout. And each character, each survivor is represented by a little triangle that's like moving throughout and you can see them. and you move from room to room via the security cameras. So, so you can kind of see like what's going on in each room. And your goal, like I said, is to basically fuck these people up so they lose so much time that they all like die and then woohoo, you win. So how you do that is you have four cards in front of you at a time and each card has a specific amount of points that you need to spend in order to activate it. And on the left, you have points constantly accruing. And I think the max amount of points you can have at a time is 10. Are you following me so far? I'm going to be honest and say that I have most of what you've been talking
0: about. (laughs) But there may have been a moment there where I was like...
1: Daydreaming? It's okay. (laughs) I
0: may have, have like, wandered off for a second being like, Wait, what's that thing over there? Where should I put another light? Okay, no. No. focus (laughs) focus <laughs> i love you thank you for no, letting me you, have my moment no but this is the mode that i think i would probably have the most fun with because i like an asynchronous multiplayer i'm yes. interested so i apologize
1: no it's okay girl i got you i've been talking a lot I, I, my voice is going and pax hasn't even started yet I know. Drink some tea. Drink some
0: tea tonight. So you're talking about points accrual. Yes. And how there's a 10 point
1: limit. I think it's a 10 point limit. So you have four cards in front of you at a time. It might be a trip mine. It might be an explosive. It might be a zombie. It might be another kind of zombie. They it's a random shuffle. And in order to get new cards into the deck, you got to use a card that you already have in your hand. And you have points, like I said, accruing on the left. And then you have your special ability also accruing slowly over time as well. So,
0: would you say that there's like an element to deck building in this or no? No.
1: Okay. My, it's my just, ran- it just random
0: is- abilities that just happen to be in the form of cards. Right. But like, it has nothing to do with like strategizing a deck.
1: I don't believe so. I don't, because I okay. only got to play Mastermind once. I don't think you can reshuffle a card. I think you have to use one of the four that's in your hand. I think that's how it works. So, okay. anywho, so yeah, so you're. When you're the mastermind and you're looking at your map, you can see where the players, where the survivors have to go in order to accomplish their missions. So what I did, for example, when I played the mastermind, I knew everyone had to eventually come into this one room because that's where one of the um, card readers were that they needed to activate. So I put down like four mines, I put down some zombies and I put down Spencer's special, which is a disintegration field. And everyone thought they were doing all good, and they walked into that room, and I just fucked them all up, and they all collapsed into a heap of death, and I won. Now, granted, it was everyone's first, like first or second round playing resistance, so I think I kind of took advantage of that because I don't think that's going to be a viable As option. As you should, that's not your problem. Oh, noobs. That's what I'm saying. I so I think once because once we started playing, that was the only time a mastermind me that hadn't that didn't work for Capcom successfully everyone up every other time we as the survivors were able to finish all three levels because you learn certain things like you have to constantly be looking at the ground for mines or for um traps and that's something that you're just not used to doing in a resident evil game you're just kind of used to running balls to the wall and hoping for the best um so that's kind of more or less how the game plays obviously you need to communicate with your teammates you need to say okay i found a trophy here i found this the security zombie with the key card over here this pillar to the north is not activated we need to find another one and i wasn't sure how i was going to like this mode i think i was actually kind of i don't know if i was necessarily negative about it when we talked about it on the show but i know i was definitely not excited about it but i have to say this was definitely a highlight playing with everyone in the room like yelling at each other trying to figure out what we're doing how we're going to do it was a it was a highlight it was a lot of fun it was a really fun mode I think, obviously, and I don't I don't play online games like you do, so I can't really speak to I think this is an issue probably every online game has. You know, finding four people, Grant, I'm sure matchmaking is going to be a thing, and finding four people that can work together, communicate effectively together, really makes the world a difference when you're playing a game like this. So if you have a hard time finding fun people to play with that don't suck, you know, it's, how is that going to impact it overall? But I think yeah, there's potential. it's, <laughs> it's, it's
0: tough because like, I think this is a reason why, um, sorry, I was messing with the cable here. I think this is a reason why you can look at other asynchronous multiplayers and why they've had rather short lifespans, right? I think about one of my favorite, more recent asynchronous multiplayers in Evolve, and I really enjoyed that game from Turtle Rock, this idea that there's four hunters against one monster, and I really liked playing the monster, but... Like you mentioned, if you don't have a team that's on comms and you need people to communicate, then it's going to be tough. Even if you look at like a squad based tactical shooter, like a Rainbow Six Siege, mm-hmm. where you can definitely play that game without comms, and sometimes you should because people are terrible and say terrible things in that game. The game is better when you're playing with a team that communicates so that you can have a strategy. Yeah. So I think that that's inherently going to be a problem for them. I think the extra layer of a problem is that it's a Resident Evil multiplayer and Resident Evil does not have a great track record when it comes to multiplayer components to their franchise, so... I think it'll be interesting to see how this is received. Did they Now, we know that there's a demo coming for Resident Evil 3 Remake. Capcom hasn't announced when it's coming or what it's going to entail, but that a demo is happening, just like mm-hmm. a demo for RE2 happened. Are, is there going to also be a demo for Resistance, or did they not mention that?
1: They did not mention it. I just did a little a little Google search to see if I could find anything, and it looks yeah, like... Yeah, it would be so great if they had
0: a beta, right? Because I, you would I think feel that like they... That seems like a smart idea, maybe? I wonder if they
1: did. I feel like you know, people have played this already, so I'm not sure how they're playing it or how they were playing it, but it was a thing. But anyway, yeah, because like, I haven't been paying attention because this did not interest me in the slightest, but I did have a, a really, really good time with it, and it was a lot of fun. Um, oh, it looks yeah. like there was a closed beta for Ambassadors
0: Only that uh, happened.
1: Those Ambassadors.
0: Um, So it said that the closed beta, this happened during October of 2019. um, And you had to be, uh, it was a PlayStation 4 closed beta as part of the Resident Evil Ambassador Program. Yeah. So um, that's that's what happened. And over on uh, Fandom in the Resident Evil Wiki... It looks like they just have the dates and the registration um, and nothing else like what was in the beta. Mm.
1: Yeah. Well, helpful. Yeah. But anyway, like I said, good time. It was really fun. Really surprised me. I asked about AI if, you know, you're going to have bots available in case you don't want to play online with people. And they didn't have an answer for me at that time. But I imagine that would be kind of tricky to build an AI that can anticipate player well, I don't know. I don't know how game dev works. I'm not a developer. <laughs> but it would be it would be a fun mode to play. I just Yes, AI is hard, Brittany. You AI can just is say hard. that. You
0: can just say, yo, I don't make games, but
1: building AI is difficult. I imagine it's very hard. I mean I have a hard enough time drawing stick people and that's just like <laughs> a circle and a line, man. You're Love a them. genius at drawing stick people. Don't sell yourself uh, Oh, thank you, baby girl. <sighs> I know I had an amazing week last week. I got to play Two incredible games that I am more than hyped about, and I'm very happy. I am
0: fulfilled. this has been a beefy (laughs) hands-on segment with two phenomenal games that are not out yet. So I'm going to hold my chat until our next episode back here in the studio. Because the game that I'm playing is not new. It's been out for a while. I've just been obsessed with it. It's this mobile game called Archero. If you're not playing it and you're looking for a new obsession, I'll talk about its pros and cons um, in the next episode. But it's super fun. But it has some of the t- tropes and downfalls of a typical free-to-play game with oh, timers. So, but the gameplay is maybe worth it. Maybe I'm spending more money than I should. It's okay. Um, here's the thing. I think that you gave us a phenomenal look at these two titles. Um we're just we're just going to call it that cuz Brittany, we've been shooting the show for a long time.
1: Girl, I didn't even say we were going to try to keep it short. Oh, you know we did say we were going to try to keep it short this week. Did we? We have to stop saying We got to say, I mean, I per- I didn't want to say it cuz we know what happens, but you know, here we are. Here we are.
0: And here we are, the night before we fly to Boston. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on this 146th episode of What's Good Games. Don't forget, we are in Boston. You can find all of those details at what's good underscore games on Twitter or at facebook.com slash what's good games. If you guys are listening to this and you're in Boston and you're like, I'm waiting in the queue hall. I want to listen to what's good games please go to our Facebook page and RSVP for the event. It would help us out to get an idea of who is going to be there tonight. (laughs) Um, And hopefully we get to see you there and then be on the lookout, everybody else who's not in Boston for our PAX panel with special guest Rihanna Manuel that is going to be publishing next week and then we'll be back in the studio the week after that with lots more to talk about so thank you so much everybody for listening we love that you're part of our community have a fantastic weekend and we'll see you next time bye Good day.